Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Snyder Cut episode. That's right, the Bat Fanatic podcast, myself, Ben, and Evan, we're going to dive deep, leaving no stone unturned on this four-hour epic. As always, i got to shout out our longtime sponsor, Radar Toys. You can go to RadarToys.com, get free shipping anywhere in the U.S., and save 10% using the code BATFANPOD. Now... We are going to dive into this honestly. It's something that I love and have really looked forward to for the past few years. But we're going to do it honestly and transparently. So we're going to talk about all things good and bad about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Stay tuned. Evan's in the house. Hi. Ben Polanski's in a house. Uh, Yeah, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League 2021 aka 2017 should have been in the alternate timeline where Bernie Sanders was president and there's no pandemic (laughs) (laughs) I already lost some viewers Uh, we have viewers people (laughs) listen to this yeah directed by Zack Snyder written by Chris Terrio starring of course, Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, and many, many more. Of course, we can't list them all because it's a massive ensemble. I did want to shout out uh, cinematographer Fabian Wagner because this is a very visual film. And so if we are to uh, bring those things up, it's not all Snyder who shot all this, of course, uh, even though he is very visually minded. Of course, we have uh, Junkie XL returning for the score. Yeah, and yeah, best name in the music game. I remember being a teenager and listening to the music of Junkie XL. Well, I mentioned a thing about that, criticizing his name, and with this one, he is Tom Holkenborg. And as a person who is a Whartonby, it's not too far from a Holkenborg. <laughs> I get it, not wanting to use your stupid name. So um, he is back riding solo this time without Hans Zimmer, and. Yeah, I have to begin this episode with a major, major spoiler alert. We talk very freely on this show, but we usually talk about old films, past releases. This is brand new, so if you're listening, you have either seen Zack Snyder's Justice League or you do not care about ruining it for yourself because we are going to do what we always do. We're not going to hold back, all right? So just know that. Major spoiler alert for the last time. Pause this if you need to. Harry Potter spoilers. Lost yeah. spoilers. <laughs> Star Trek. Ben's going to bring up three Jokers spoilers again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like saying for this movie, it's sort of fair to call this like the 2017 version, but it really is as much as like probably a lot of these were ideas that Zack Snyder and the people involved wanted to execute the first time. This is also a reaction to the Joss Whedon version. There's no way you can tell me that this was the intended thing to go into movie theaters. Well, you you can because there are I don't believe you. There are public storyboards, long form interviews about this script, what the movie we'll never see actually was. And so 
I knew too many things going into this movie, and, and I, I was going to talk about that as well, in that, um, yes, there are a couple of things that were added recently, and uh, you know we'll get into that as it goes, but for the most part, what this is, is not what we would have seen in 2017, because they would have made him cut it down, just like we saw with BVS or something, but... You know, there would have been that ultimate edition or whatever of the, like, you know, but long like it's, form. It's, to me, it's as if they were saying, like, yeah, my theatrical vision for this movie is it's actually a three-part 90s made-for-NBC TV movie in 4-3 aspect ratio. That's my cinematic vision with movie <laughs> theaters. Well, and okay. actually, it's theaters that are... I would almost say to blame for that because it's the Chris Nolan, I'm going to shoot this whole thing in IMAX, right? And like, look, so many people are not going to see it in an IMAX theater. And so, you know, what they do, they're like, okay, well, we'll just present it normally for everyone else. But no, not for this movie. You know what? We're just going to make it that, like you said, 1997 fucking uh, CRT screen shape. For people your flat don't screen. have devices shaped this way anymore. I know. That's, who is this for? People have been really trying to sell everyone on this. Like all, all the diehard fans have really been like, look guys, here's the 16 by 9 aspect ratio. Now here's the same shot in the 4 by 3 aspect ratio. And I was like, what you're doing doesn't even make sense because that it, you're having to crop a thing to make it. It doesn't, you know, like there's a whole reason yeah. that those little advisories would show up before your film was seen on TBS that said, this film has been reformatted to fit your fucking screen, right? Yeah, because it's not the original vision. Yeah, they'd crop it off all weird. But the IMAX ratio is that weird boxy shape. And well, so. IMAX, well, because like when you watch a normal, a standard movie aspect ratio, even on our modern TVs that are 16 by 9, yeah. they have black bars at the top and the bottom because it's still wider. Yeah. And then IMAX is closer to our actual home TV things, where it's 16.9. It's not like 2.3 to 1 or something. But I think the biggest reason for the aspect ratio thing was like, one, maybe somebody, or Zack Snyder or somebody else was like, well, it's going to be on TV, so let's make it look like TV. But two, just to visually differentiate it from the other version. So it's that much more different. So you think of it differently and you see it differently because you cannot tell me that that serves any purpose otherwise, other than just making it look different. Yeah, to me, that is one of the, f the few things that the people who were just going to hate this movie going into it, right? One of the few things that I believe they will bring up every time legitimately. I think that mm -hmm. it's a wrong move. Again, like you mentioned, no one is going to consume this on something that's made for that. <laughs> And therefore, yes, you are getting more of the frame, right? You're getting more of the background or whatever, but you're getting less of the character's facial expressions and their eyes and all that shit because you're just adding crap that we don't need. Like, I don't need to see more of the building in the background. I need to see the actor's face. Is that what was done? They added to the top and bottom rather than cutting off the sides? Yeah, they didn't cut the sides. Like, if Because I've compared shots to try to figure out what they did. There's on YouTube, you can watch people who took scenes from both movies and play them side by side. So yeah, I mean, they did have to crop it to some extent to fit it in the original format, right? But they are shooting with this in mind. They're shooting with not just IMAX theaters, but regular theaters and home viewing and Blu-ray in mind 
probably not some guy watching on his phone, but literally everything we have is designed for this. And so they are shooting with that in mind, knowing it's going to be formatted for that. I mean... Formatted for a rectangle, not a square. Exactly. And so, like, you already shot this with that in mind. I'm going, did you have to drop a whole bunch of money to then add, like, your CGI to the the shit on the top that you didn't have to worry about? Or did you just make all that in the first place and then cut it off? Like, it just brings so many dumb questions, and I don't want to talk about aspect ratio for two hours. (laughs) It's just weird. You have to mention it, but we can move on. Yeah, it's stupid, and I don't like it. I didn't even mind. Yeah, it didn't bother me. I just don't understand why it was done. Same thing um, when watching The Lighthouse. If somebody did it intentionally, then I'm just going to honor their vision because that's what they intended. And so I just accepted it. Like, cool, there is some Mm. reason, even if the reason is beyond me or I don't currently know it, it's intentional. And therefore, I want to see it how they want me to see it. The end. Yeah, and I was going to watch the first time normal like they have it. But then with Apple TV, you can double-click, and it'll actually fill your screen. It's just like a, a setting, right? Uh-huh. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that on the repeat viewing and see if it changes my perception here, right? <laughs> they somehow disabled the feature because <laughs> I was doing that watching <laughs> Superman 2 on HBO Max just days ago. And, uh, and that's when I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you could do this. I'll have to try this and compare viewings. So I'm like, man, they even, like, blocked it. So, no, you will watch it like this, you son of a bitch. There's, like, so many safeguards or something. Lauren is trying to send me a shot from the show Generation Kill, like, last night and this morning. And we're trying to figure out how he could, like, send it to me. And, you know, he wanted me to use it for a reference for a drawing. And I was like, okay, well, what if uh, HBO on your phone, send a screenshot, Yeah, send it to me. Because what he sent me this morning was like clearly him taking a picture of the screen, you know, so it's like, yeah. it's all cockeyed. And I was like, nah, this, I need it flat. And uh, at somebody else's house outside their window. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can <laughs> see like the lines for the blinds and stuff. And he's like standing out. So you can see his breath. So send me a screenshot. And he's like, that's just black. Okay. And so then we tried it on Amber's iPad after that and same thing. It's like some sort of fail safe yeah. against like screenshotting I've, I've had a very hard time doing like you would think that with digital media it'd be so much easier for sampling, you know, because I like use a lot of movie quotes in my records and stuff. And uh it's so much harder. And I usually have to actually rip it off a disc because you can't use the screen capture function. You can't use mm-hmm. the screenshot. You can't use so many regular features with these apps. They're, they're really wise about it. The uh, age of piracy just isn't what it was. Yeah, so you can't like text it to your friend, but what you can do is just upload it to YouTube because that they can monetize. You know. That's where I watched this movie. I watched this movie on YouTube. Yeah. Was it somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have to uh, give a little context like we did before. So the Snyder Cut is significant in many ways because it's one of the only times that, you know, the studios intervened and the fans really had this huge groundswell of uh, support for this project, and that's really the only reason that it got made. But it's not, by any stretch of the imagination, the first time that something like this has happened with Warner Brothers. We talked about before with Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher, right? 
But we didn't talk about was Richard Donner in the 70s. This is a situation where they filmed Superman and Superman 2 at the same time. They're almost done filming the second movie, and they're like, oh, we got to do post to finish the first one to put it out and meet our release date, right? Well, after that, Warner's fire Richard Donner. They hire Richard Lester, and they're like, all right, here's this movie. And uh, he's like, what is this epic, mythic, crazy bullshit? Like, let's lighten this up and have some fun. And, and we talked about... <laughs> This Superman being the more darker, real world, whatever, you know, and it's not the Christopher Reeves version. Well, even the Chris Reeves version was too much for Richard Lester and Warner Brothers. And they rewrote and reshot a whole bunch of shit. They had to sue Chris Reeve, who was on another movie at the time, to get him to come back. What kind of working attitude would that be like if you're only back to work because they sued you? Like, yeah, I know they well he through that process he wound up getting um, more money and creative control if he was going to come back so that happened uh-huh. but again you have this movie rewritten you have to force your star to come back John Williams quit the first day he met with the new director I mean <laughs> it was just a total shit show oh yeah and Gene Hackman refused to come back and work with him for reshoots and so there are shots of Gene Hackman that are from far away where it's played by a double and they have an imitator doing his voice because <laughs> he just wouldn't work with this new guy. And so very similar, man. I mean, this shit's been happening a long time and, and the, the Donner cut didn't come out until 2006 because Superman Returns had had to license Brando's image. And once they got through that legal hurdle, they're like, well, shit, now that we got Brando's likeness rights, then let's go back and get this thing finished. And Why so, did they even get rid of that dude after having almost done two movies worth of stuff? I mean, that's the exact same question as Zack Snyder, you know? It's just, I don't... It's like, why... Well, the, the Zack Snyder one I get, again, because without giving away what I think of this movie... We all know what you think of this movie. You Maybe you don't. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you know what I think. How about that? Um... But there's no way this would have been in theaters. So I can understand them going like, well, I don't know how we're going to release this. He's obviously having troubles with other things. So we need someone anyway to come in and tie it up. It has to be cut. It has to be condensed and shrunk. And then maybe we'll also turn it into a Marvel movie. That's we'll do. Like, well, yeah. Yeah, you know too. what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if this was just really more like the Avengers. Hey, what is the guy who did the Avengers movies? What is he doing this week? Can we call him? Call Josh Wheaton up and we'll get... That I just had to mention, you know, this movie has had many, many stages of whether it exists. The official story was there was a screening of this movie, you know, just the green screen version, no, no VFX, and that Warners were not happy. That was, you know, prior to his daughter's death and everything, and they just weren't happy. It was too dark and whatever. Then everything happens, and he goes and... We get the version that we got. But people were still denying that it existed. There was the hashtag. He would post stuff online here and there, just like a little picture of like a black suit Superman. And like, whoa, that did happen. Or there were shots in the original trailers that weren't in the movie, you know? And so like, yeah, see, it had to, you know? It's got to be there. And then one day, 
he posts a picture of the actual like film reels and it was like 214 minutes and we're like holy shit it's real so then it really takes off and you know we have the official announcement from hbo max last year this is kind of on the heels of affleck and gal starting to tweet it you know the the hashtag it's like holy shit they're doing it like this might happen guys we get a little bit more at DC Fandom last year. And right now, it's like promo bukkake. <laughs> there is no secret. Like, I was really careful. I didn't want any spoilers, right? But, like, in the actual official trailers and ads are nothing but spoilers. Like, my chief complaint, as we'll visit at the end, but there is nothing that I haven't already seen for the most part. I think I watched the first trailer once, maybe. So I didn't have any of those issues because... And that's fantastic. Because if you are a fan who's been following this and anticipating it, as it's getting closer (laughs) to being real, it's exciting. Like, oh shit, Like I can't believe... Wow, I've never seen this before. Wow, they're doing that? Holy shit. You know, and and so they're giving you these little things, but you're thinking like, dude, it's a four-hour epic. There's going to be so much we haven't seen. But no, it was like you said with the nightmare sequence in BVS. I mean, very much trailer bait. They really wanted to fill seats. You know, they had that. Well, if you didn't see the other ads, there was um, an ad of Jared Leto recently, just a clip of him. And they used an ad lib that's not even in the movie where he says, you know, we live in a society where honor is a distant memory or something like that. But yes, he paused. We live in a desert, a deserted desert. Very specific place. And he's like, you know, we live in a society. Dramatic pause. And then everyone is fucking going crazy. It goes viral. It's all this shit. And I watched the movie and I was like, you should have surprised me with that. Yeah, that stuff blows because I did see articles hinting at stuff like that. And I was just like, nope. But whether it's that or, no, it's not like a super spoiler, but you have... Batman's like Dark Knight Returns tank and stuff. Like yeah. these are these are from the last minutes of the movie. Like why the fuck would you do that? Like yeah. if, if you want to give me like little bitty bits or something, then cool, do it from some earlier scene and still leave me something to to discover. But I have to I, I don't know what Ben's reason for doing it and I don't know that mine was necessarily intentional, but because that's like the culture now. I do want to be excited for stuff when it's coming up. Yeah. And I do I do like some of the hype train, but I don't trust people to not spoil stuff. And then I don't trust companies to not spoil stuff either yeah. anymore because like because people it's like the way porn has affected us or something. And so we can't get like <laughs> Go on. Well, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, because uh people can't be turned on unless it looks or sounds like this and it creates unrealistic stuff. And yeah. That's how I feel about this kind of like, I don't know what's the chicken or the egg or something, but now the companies and the people are the same like kind people of People are not race. going to go watch your movie unless you show them all the coolest stuff yeah. in the trailer and it better be freaking cool. Better yeah. not be people talking and it better not be boring. And, no one's going to get an HBO Max subscription. Yeah. When it comes to like the way that people use social media and Twitter and stuff, like I don't know why it's cool to be one of like a whole bunch of people who are all spoiling shit for people. Yeah. But people love to be like, oh, did you try the new flavor of LaCroix? It just came out or something. You know, they want to be 
talking about the current thing right now in like a content generation, like staying relevant, staying hyped kind of thing or something. And yeah. so people really just rush to talk about shit and spoil it for people. I mean, to be fair, we're here talking about Batman, a thing we didn't create. So, but, but I will sure. say, I mean, that's like, that is for a huge chunk of social media and just like culture in general, especially now where it's so intertwined with selling stuff and products where it's like, that is your personality is like your relationship to a product. So if yeah. you're the person like, I got a special screening of Justice League and I'm going to tell you all about it. And here's this. Mm-hmm. Oh, when I called up Zach and he told me like this, all, it's just, <laughs> those are all the people I follow and watch <laughs> <laughs> to your point though, Evan, it kind of reminded me of, I mentioned on the Dark Knight episode that like there was so much excitement for that movie that I watched every trailer and I watched them so many times. And then when the movie came out and I'm at the premiere and I'm going, that's a different line reading. That's weird. You know, like I've seen it too fucking much. And of course I did the same thing with this one. But the difference is them putting Dark Side prominently in these ads recently Uh is akin to putting Jared Leto in all the ads for Suicide Squad. This is a dude who was barely in the movie. It was a cameo appearance, really. And they leaned hard on him in the marketing. And so I knew they were still using Steppenwolf. And I love what they did with the whole hierarchy there and establishing some motivations and stuff. But making entire ads that are dark side shit and showing us the big apocalypse reveal from the end and you're like oh my god we're going to apocalypse right this is going to be nuts and then it's like no not really you get to look through a boom tube at it it's exactly what we heard it was four years ago i'm gonna give yeah. you the key to a better life the key is if you watch a trailer for something and it looks cool and you want to see it that's great don't watch that trailer again yeah don't watch any trailers again you're gonna watch it then after you watch the thing if you love it, then you go home, or since nobody leaves home anyway now, but after you watch the thing, then you watch the trailer again. Yeah. Because it's like the sizzle reel of the thing you just watched. It's the equivalent of talking to somebody about this thing you liked a lot. So save that for after the movie. I do that too. Avoid all that stuff beforehand. I do that too. I'll watch them afterward. Or like last night, you know, I watched it for the third time, and you guys are like, damn, that's 12 hours of your life this week or whatever. And and I I was like, they're not going to like this, but as soon as it was over... I went to YouTube to see what more shit I could find. And like the Bat Force guys had just dropped their review. And I was like, two hours. I'll just watch a little bit. And I <laughs> watched the whole thing. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Oh, uh, I got to watch the movie again to see what they're talking about. Hold and on. so I was like, yeah, it's actually uh, six hours last night. But anyway, that's enough on the context of this movie. The last thing I'll say on it is that the R rating, you know, this is oh, a yeah. slow burn. I like that about it. I'm not sure the R was necessary in the way it was for like Birds of Prey where they went for a hard R comedy where all the violence is bloody, everyone has broken bones, lots of fucks and shits and that kind of humor. I will say, I don't think I'll ever be tired of Batman going like, oh shit. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that people in these situations should respond like real adults would in those situations and not be like, this is freaking nuts. You know, like, I don't think that works. <laughs> but there's three fucks in the movie, and I think you could have gone without two of them and 
it still would have been it still would have been a PG thirteen, yeah. Uh-huh. So we'll get to the last fuck later, but despite the gallons of Mortal Kombat blood. I think some of yeah, some of that shit's great. Some of it's unnecessary. Like there's a spot where a parademon gets like whipped off the Batmobile and impaled, and they just like yeah. hang on it for a second. And I was like, see, this does nothing for the story. It just like fuck yeah, rated R. Well, in saying Mortal Kombat like this, even though this is a lot of the movie we already saw, this movie totally feels like the first Mortal Kombat. It just like does. And the other one didn't, and uh, that's a good thing. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No complaints, but that was my real comparison. Because I haven't played those games in forever, but the more I've seen the trailers and stuff, like the new characters for the new ones, especially since its graphics far more resemble current movie graphics than like past stuff does. And sure. the blood just looks like the animated version of just like chucking buckets all over the place. <laughs> Everything is like blue. And not even at like, you know, Tarantino would be like, or like a, like a Japanese blood shower fountain. Yeah. Uh, but this just looks like football Gatorade buckets of blood. <laughs> Batman or somebody knocked a parademon into a wall. And like after he fell out the wall, there's just a big splatter of blood. Yeah. yeah. Like right when he hit it. I mean, I like when Steppenwolf throws the Atlantean at that big ass rock on the on the oh, shore. Yeah. That, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. that would crack your head. Yeah, that would oh, bleed. Yeah. It's kind of like the the ultimate edition of uh, the warehouse scene. They hadn't cut out the blood on the wall when he's throwing people and hitting them with giant crates and shit. Like, yeah, show me something realistic for sure. But then there were also parts where just like, check it out, guys. <laughs> Four three ratio. <laughs> the tallest blood amount. Parademon blood fountain. Tallest blood around. One thing I didn't notice that I, I will credit the Bat Force folks for uh, pointing out is that we open with the BVS flashback, and that is the exact thing that he did so well with BVS was we, we had the Man of Steel climax from a different perspective. And I didn't actually appreciate that, oh yeah, he did that again where we're continuing the story from the previous movie. We're going to show you from other characters' perspectives. You know, we see the ripple go out from Superman's death. Just a much better intro in general. It's not sappy. It doesn't have the stupid, like, buddy comedy intro. But then even after that, well, I'm not even talking about the mustache because that's a, a crime <laughs> yeah. against humanity. Forget about that, that, one. that little scene was terrible and was like the beginning of like, uh, this has been a crazy summer kind of thing. But then the whole musical montage funeral stuff was also stupid. So this was a much better introduction to this story and these characters. I, I like this intro. I, I thought that effect of the super slow-mo of his scream was really neat. Yeah, and seeing how it awakens the mother boxes. Because in the other one, you know, at the end of BVS, we break the show don't tell rule, and Lex just kind of says, like, you know, he's heard it. The bell cannot be unrung. You know, and the casual fans like me who only read shit that happens in Gotham City are like, I don't know what that means, but we'll see. Who's he? What is going on? What's a bell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so much uh, different right from the beginning. We. Go into uh, Lois and Martha, both on hard times. You know, Martha's losing the farm. We get her visiting the grave the last time. You know, it's much more somber. We get Lois going to uh, her daily grieving at the memorial. You know, the first viewing was really hard because I've seen the other one so many times 
that I was constantly, I had this like juxtaposition in my head of what I was used to versus what I was looking at, you know? And so like they start playing the song while she's at the Superman Memorial. And I was like, oh man, I really miss that Leonard Cohen cover though. I like that song. <laughs> and, uh, you know, certain things that happen and I'm like, well, God, isn't this scene the same? And then it would play out without anything stupid happening. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. You know? And so yeah. in, in my head, I was constantly comparing it and shit. And I, I think a great example is, is the first Bruce Wayne scene where he goes to find Arthur. And so much of that just plays out like normal, but then there's no jokes. There's no wall painting. That's, yeah, no yeah, that's what I was going to say. And, and yeah. I watched it a few times because, again, the first time I was just like, so much comparison in my head uh, and trying to figure out what's what's what what's new you know so i needed to kind of just put that out of my head the more i watched it the more i was like oh i see what they did because warners gave him the two-hour mandate and they're like okay where can we cut right well there's four minutes of this norwegian woman singing we could probably cut that down a little bit oh she's gonna sniff a sweater (laughs) that let Singing me finish my thought. Right here, that's my then we'll get into that. Finish your thought for me. Finish your thought. Okay. okay. So you have this scene later where Gal goes to investigate the warning flame, right? And she goes through this sort of Indiana Jones torch lit style scene. Oh, yeah. And she finds all the hieroglyphs and stuff telling the backstory. And that explains how she knows what the fuck she's telling Bruce in a little bit. And that's great. But they're looking at this runtime going, well, what can we cut? Um, well, here's a whole scene where there's no other characters and it's really slow build. Like, let's just remove that. We'll put some hieroglyphs in the Aquaman scene and done, right? And so some of the shit that they got wrong, I'm looking at and going, well, this is just them having to force all this story into the shorter runtime. And so they're just yeah, having to, to, make, to make a movie that you can watch in a movie theater. Yeah, they're just, just having the to make idea, I think. these concessions. And so, oh, and it's worth mentioning that this version we're seeing is only like the four-hour epic because Zach refused payment in exchange for complete creative control. Like, that's cool. Like, I will do whatever I want and you will not pay me, and that's the deal. It's like, cool, go ahead. Mm. So well, th- that's what's cool well, about as we've it. we talked about, too, like reviewing the thing we have and not reviewing a different thing or what we thought it could have been or should have been. Like how I made fun of Batman versus Superman because it's too long and it's kind of boring. This is okay. This is all right. You can't get away from mentioning the fact that this could not have been in theaters, and I think that was the original idea. But if this is like the new push for this kind of stuff or the movies or media he wants to make, it's going to be really long and you watch it on a streaming service and you can split it up. That's fine. That, that's yeah. totally okay. But you could not have watched this in a movie theater, which seems like that was the business proposition at yeah. the beginning of it. Yeah, it was like HBO Max is willing to give him the freedom that Warners aren't, you know? Because <laughs> no one's going to sit in a movie theater for four hours. I mean, that's reasonable. That's reasonable to I will. I, I really hope that... Uh, I'm going to get my vaccination and then they're going to be like, now in theaters. I'm like, yes, because that's one thing I really didn't get from this was the like the big sound and, and uh-huh. you know, especially if it's cropped, I need a bigger screen. And yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I would love that. I really liked the Bruce traversing the mountains. Yes. Felt like a lot like a Lord of the Rings 
flyover Middle Earth uh, yeah. journey scene. So I like that montage a lot. Well, and a little and, like Batman Begins. Yeah. The mountains of Himalayas or Nepal or something. Because they're like, how how did he get here? There, no choppers can land. And they're like, they say he climbed the mountain. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> Wearing just a scarf. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> and he has the, the, I didn't notice this before, but I'm pretty sure they're the nightmare goggles is what he's wearing on horseback. Oh, that's funny. They're multi-purpose. I like how he pulls the money out on him while he's being held up against the wall. I think that's funny. Yeah. Uh, like he knows that's, you know, he like goaded him into action. So he knows that's Arthur. Like, here's your money. And I was pleased that I really didn't like at the end of their conversation how he does like some like backwards belly flop in yeah. the water. I was very pleased to find that that was not in this because it really bothered me. They just took that whole thing and play it straight and I like it and the first sign of trouble for me because I knew he had complete full creative control, right? And I'm a fan of Watchmen, for example. My only issue with that movie is the pacing and when they start singing... I'm like, this is weird. And then Bruce exits the scene, <laughs> and the scene doesn't end. And I'm like, well, what, what's happening now? And then there's a close-up on the Where am I? <laughs> Icelandic singer girl. And I was like, is this a, a music video? Like, is this? No, this is a musical. Oh, it's a musical. I didn't know. You know, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going for a solid minute after Bruce is out of the screen, and then they never mention it again. I was starting to go, oh, no. Is this going to be, like, full of shit like this? And thank <laughs> God it wasn't, because that, that is the scene I hated the most. It's not full of shit like that, but that's my biggest complaint about the movie and a complaint that comes back, and that was the first... Like with you, that was the first sign of it where that idea of playing that scene straight, having it be darker, leaning into the whole like he's like our mythic savior of our little village and we love him and we sing songs about him or whatever. That's cool. Yeah. Having all these women like lament and sing the song, that's cool too. But it's excessive. Yeah. Do it for just a moment or two and then cut away. And the fact that it, it just kept going is like so much of this movie, the things I don't like are that where they did they had a cool idea and then there's no one to go like, hey, you need to cut it a little bit. It's what Ev said before about the Joss Whedon punch-ups, right? They would have a joke that sort of works, and then they would have one or two extra jokes that don't work, right? And in this movie, one of the few things I can fault it for, because I, I enjoy it a lot. We're talking critically right now just because for the sake of conversation, but I really love this movie, except I think in editing we could lose at least one beat from most scenes in the first act, the first hour or something. I think if you just trim a little bit, and I love that they let it breathe and they make things feel realistic and you actually connect with the characters. And that's what was missing before because we don't have six movies leading up to this like Avengers had. This and has to be an origin story for like, three characters yeah and and we Uh accused bvs of having too much shit going on and trying to introduce too much and and whatever right and this somehow seems less messy and just a better flow to it and everyone is is well-rounded and given their place but then just maybe like just 10 percent back even just five percent back 
for the yeah, sake I would, I of pacing. I want to see the pacing. Warner Brothers cut of the Zack Snyder cut. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I want to see the three-hour and 20-minute version of this movie. I just think that, like, in terms... Because I think in editing, you know, I edit the podcasts, I edit, you know, records, and, and I edit lyrics and songs and all, all these different things. I, I just felt like there was a little bit... I enjoyed the long run time. You know, it's, it's fun to just spend a night hanging out with these characters. But yeah, there's just a couple moments like that. And uh, that's the easiest example because it's the most egregious. Yeah. Even that, what if the scene cut itself and it starts into another scene and then just the music is what yeah. like carries it into the next yes. one? Just like, just yes. don't slowly zoom in on the lady's face. <laughs> fucking freaking me out. Yeah, we don't get... Minute-long close-ups of extras. That's weird. <laughs> this movie isn't trying to be an art film, despite the fact that it's really visual. Yeah. So don't give me the sweater sniffer. <laughs> because like, that's something that you would see in an artistic movie where it's just like... This shot what is, what does so, that mean? So long. Yeah, what like, does that represent? The symbolism? Oh, like, yeah. There is none. What you don't see is her other hand. <laughs> yeah. Jason Momoa is hot and he's huge and he gives them yeah. food and so all the ladies are into him. That's the, Get it. That's the symbolism. It's like uh, trading spouses on Chappelle's show. When the, the, the white guy is uh, like digging around in the underwear or in the laundry or something and he pulls up that bra and sniffs it and he's like, titty residue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the women of this village. Yeah. yeah. All right. The honest trailer bait moment aside, because you know they're going to make fun of that. Alfred picks him up from the airport. This is a fully new scene we haven't seen before. And it's one of a few times, I believe, where Bruce has to be like, okay, I found him. Like, oh, shit, he's joining the team. Like, no, but I found him. You know, (laughs) They take the Wonder Woman terrorist scene and really dial that up and make it more realistic. It just felt darker. Yeah. Which is good, good in this instance. I mean, if it's, this movie is much more tonally consistent than the other one, which works in its favor. Well, in the other one, they made these guys somehow feel like cartoony villains. and Like the Wonder Woman from the Wonder Woman movie, some of that more lighthearted. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and in this, they seem like real terrorists, you know, not fucking around. And I love the shot where she throws the bomb and they linger on it for a second and then they cut wide and you see her body like extended from the throw but slightly falling as it's ascending and and like, I don't know, I thought that was just beautifully done. There's a little bit of the whole like uncanny valley when she's throwing their bodies around. Um, But like I said, one of my favorite moments in the first one was stopping the machine gun bullets and all that. So, you know, they, they do that, but they dial up the terror with the people's screams. And then they give her that really satisfying moment afterward. And this is where lingering a beat really works, that she then consoles the people. And are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, you're not okay. Hey, what's going on? You know, and she's like, "Can I be like you?" And it's like, "You can be anything you want." And yes. you're you're giving me that I, face, but that's that Gal Gadot shit that I fucking love. Like what? that makes me no, misty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that her acting in that scene is good. It's pretty good, and I like what they added. But that line was like the girl power montage lineup from the end of Endgame, where it was just too much of like, "Can I be like you? You can be anything you want. Girls can be anything they want. Don't Yo. let anyone t- like." Fuck you! Just that's that much. shot in Endgame was badass. 
these are superhero movies. They're pandering. That's what they are. Just roll it back a little bit. Nah, I well, love and, it. And, I'm and all you're for that. Complaining about the amount of lines. Like eventually, it's redundant. It could just be like, of course, you can be anything that you want to be. Cut. But you're just complaining. Like ah, it's just a little bit too much. I thought it was nice because you have those other parts where it talks about her specifically being a symbol. Yeah. Um, like in the world of man, but especially for women. I thought that it was nice, but eventually you can get into this, like, don't let no man tell you what to do. <laughs> like, blah, blah, like, okay, yeah, just shut up. Just this is, say it, this is it. a better version. The girl is frightened because they were just almost shot to death and blown up. So everyone should be scared and frightened. And the girl's like, can I be strong like you? And she's like, you are strong. And the cut, you go somewhere else. Like, it felt like a tag. They added, mm. like, how do we get some girl power stuff in here? And, and not appropriate for the scene. I don't think so. I think that's just who she is and what she embodies. I don't think it's extra, you know. I, if, if it were I, Mira, it'd be weird. Scene, that scene felt like it was tagged on to have a little moment where a girl says, can I be like you? And Wonder Woman goes, you can be anything you want, little girl. Little girls can be anything they want. Well, I am a 35-year-old man, and it made me cry a little, so fuck you. <laughs> this is the first scene where people get slapped against the walls and leave blood splatters. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's like very shocking right off the bat. Yeah, and in that scene, that little girl's like smiling. Hey, can I be like you? Can I kill men like you? Of course you can. I love all the men you want to, little girl. (laughs) The move where she throws the dude at the crowd. She like volleys him towards the people. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then she zooms over there, catches him, knocks him back, and smashes his face against the wall. I'm like, yeah, ricochet. Um, she alley-ooped herself. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. I'm pretty sure it's the same in the other one anyways. I don't know why I didn't notice it. The van f- pulls up in front of the spot. Yeah. The guy in the hat with the briefcase comes out first, but then immediately the, the other guys come out of the van also. Like they're all in the same vehicle. But what I thought was funny was that the guard man at the front wasn't at all put off by the first guy, despite yeah. the fact that he's like that guy walks around behind him to shoot him in the back. Sure. Did and, you notice all those goons in the van? Yeah. Like, Oh my Get God. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you know they were in the taxi cab with you? They probably should have dropped him off on the corner first, you know? Yeah. yeah. A little direct. And then as like, you're talking about Sam the whole time, I'm just kind of making comparisons and I just think it's interesting. Like what was Zach's, what wasn't, Sometimes I was surprised, like, oh, I could have swore that wouldn't have been a Zach shot. And then it turned out that it was, like, interesting. But then the things that he just did different. And um, I feel like in the other one, Wonder Woman's theme starts as soon as she's, like, revealed yeah. at, uh, on the statue. And then in this one, they're not leaning on their theme music a lot. Like, yeah. hers doesn't start right then. It starts later on in that scene. And I just thought that it was interesting, like, what's the reason just creating like a different vision or different music or not relying too heavily on the things that everybody has like super boners for or something. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that grabbed me on the first viewing when I'm still very conscious of two versions, I was like, Oh, where's the fucking song? Do the song, you know? And, uh, you know, you find a, a couple little moments here and there where you're like, Oh, you know, I actually like that thing that they cut. <laughs> but uh-huh. again, they're not removing things they're just finishing their thing as if that never existed zach has never seen that movie and so that's just like oh yeah we came up with the we're gonna use it right here 
I'm like, yeah, okay. But the first time, I was like, oh, where it is? Give me the, oh, there it is. Okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always get little hints of it, but it does feel a little more restrained because sometimes it'll just be like that. I don't know if you yeah. guys well Ben you wouldn't have seen this Evan you might have seen this but that day I was getting excited and uh, on my break from work real quick I plugged in my guitar and learned that lick really quick and I was playing it through the Mesa when you found that it wasn't Sam you can be anything you want to be except a professional musician now no you can't well, it's because I'm a guy. That's why it doesn't apply. You're not a little girl. Once you're an adult, your path is already set. Yeah. Now, this to me is where it becomes a vastly different movie. You know, I think in the first 45 minutes, I had counted six scenes that were already in the other movie, but had been drastically rewritten. And the Amazons is where you start to really feel the Zack Snyder epic happening. When Steppenwolf shows up and the whole like, I will bathe in your fear. And she's like, daughters of Themyscira, show him show your him fear. fear. And we have no fear. I'm like, fuck. Yes, still, still to me, probably the best line in the whole movie. And shit just goes off at that point. And Ev's complaint in the last one of like, well, why do those people sacrifice themselves and get sealed in there and crushed to death if he just walks right out the wall. Like, yeah, clearly different movie here because they crush that shit and the whole thing falls off the fucking side. They let the mother box go, like get this away, and the queen has this private grieving moment, and it's just everything is different right out of the gate. Same result, but the fact that he like cut through the pyramid like Swiss cheese. Yeah it wasn't as good to me as it falling into the cliff. It just, it delayed it longer and you had a nicer moment out of it. But I thought that you just escaped too easily in the past one that made their sacrifice seem less significant. Yeah. Like taking the whole temple and dropping off a cliff into the ocean. You can believe that maybe they thought that would do something, slow him down or hurt him or something much more than just locking him in a building. Yeah. So that felt like, Oh, that was probably the original intention. But this is another one where it kind of, to me feels more like, more a reaction to criticism, whether he saw the first version or not, or whether he heard about it or whatever, having one of the Amazons go like, please seal it for us, seal it for us, to make it less like she just let them all get crushed by the thing I'm going to go run. She sacrificed him. Yeah, it's more like they wanted her to honor her sacrifice, so she did it. I mean, these are warrior women. I have no issue in, in either film about their sacrifices because that's, that's their mentality is that they... Neither do I, but I feel like that line of dialogue was added to placate people who criticized it. They're like, oh, it just killed all those people just so we could cut through the side of the building. Like, what was the point of that? I'll be real honest. In terms of adding stuff, I think there were only two things added in this entire movie. That's my opinion. Things that were filmed or put in the movie after the reaction to the first one is what you're saying. In this cut, I think only two things were added that did not exist prior to HBO Max. I'll put it that way. What are they? Well, we haven't arrived at them yet, but that's my setup. All right. Before this, I loved getting more Bruce and Alfred time. Oh, yeah. I always kind of felt like, oh, this Alfred is sort of cool, but the more he talked, the more I liked them. So the more they had scenes together, the more I liked it. 
and there's just a scene where they're like flying in the plane. I think it's at like the beginning of part two. <laughs> and I just thought like Bruce is so balling that he doesn't even have a private jet. He has like his own private passenger plane because they're flying in like the biggest plane that money can buy. Yeah. And there's like two people and maybe somebody's flying it. Well, and that, that was another scene that was just ground up reshot for the other one because Bruce is way more of a human three-dimensional person in this and not someone who's like on the war path, you know, and I love that. And especially their relationship uh, was given much, much more space in this. I think that Michael Caine's Alfred is like a witty smartass. Yeah. And this one seems like kind of a jerk smartass. It's very but I like dry. That Alfred really gets to be the only person who gets to talk down to him. Well, yeah, it's like later when the, the team first shows up at the Batcave and he's like, hey, everybody, this is Alfred. I work for him. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I like his just his energy because more than in the other version and in Batman versus Superman, he has like a like a, almost an anxious energy. Like yeah. The whole tea scene. Like, oh, you're making the tea wrong. Oh, you're really yeah. bothering me. You know, he's you know. like OCD. Yeah. That was one of my favorite moments of, of levity in the movie where he's in the middle of doing something. He's working on the gauntlet over there and she's like, I want to make some tea. Do you want some? And he's like, uh, that's in his head. He's like, that's not how this works. Um, yeah. um, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And then like, you sure you don't want me to help? And he's just like standing there over her shoulder and she's like, Oh no, I'm good. And he's like, Ooh, let's, let's not burn the leaves now. Oh yeah, water first. Okay, sure, no problem. You know, and she let it, let she's it cool. gracious okay. about it. Yeah, and then uh, oh no, that's that's quite enough tea. Oh okay, okay, buddy. And then well, no, no, no. You, you just let it mash. Okay, all right. I actually thought that I learned something there because I'd always put the water over the tea bag, and he talks about pouring the water first. And you're then so suburban. The tea bag to it. What? <laughs> I said you're so you're suburban. Not tea like Sam. Jeez. Sam really. Part of his daily routine. He makes tea every morning as a ritual. No, not me. I'm just saying, as as Alfred, he would be judging you. Yeah, I I didn't know. I felt like I didn't know I was going to learn something while watching this movie. You mentioned moment of levity, and we'll talk about them as we hit them too. But the levity was character appropriate. Yes, and it fit the tone of the whole thing. So, like the right kind of people were making jokes. The right the right characters were the straight men to the funny guys' jokes. Like they, they weren't mixing it around. It wasn't excessive. So that mm-hmm. was done really well. Yeah. Batman wasn't a cartoon character this time. He had a couple of funny lines, but usually, again, he was more the straight man. He's not the guy cracking the jokes or yeah. making the smart-ass clips. I love it. I mean, you get a little bit of like him and Arthur in the beginning, and he just gives him that little smirk that sets off Arthur and makes him pick him up, you know? But, yeah. you know, so he's got a little of that Bruce Wayne, not some like over-the-top, this is it's a comedy... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, just weird. Like, if you've established that Flash talks in a certain way, and even I thought that that was excessive in the first one, this one did a better version of that to me. But, like, Batman needs to stay Batman, and Batman needs to not be Flash. So, when you do the crossover and they're like doing each other's lines, I'm like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't buy this. Uh, last thing on the Amazons is uh, in that sequence where he comes back out of the water. And they're chasing him on horseback and all this stuff. Having more space there was great because you see like five or six of the girls shooting him with their bows, 
tying him up and surrounding him and like kind of taking him down. And that shot was great because, you know, we see in both versions, the scene ends as he booms away with like a thousand more warriors coming, right? And it's showing that even just a handful of them still could get the better with this dude, right? And he's got his army too. But I just like that it, it doesn't undercut the importance of the Amazons. You know, it doesn't make you feel like someone can just waltz into Themyscira and fuck people up and leave. You have to balance it because, yeah, you have to make Steppenwolf seem like a real threat. Yeah. You also have to remember that, yeah, these are not people. These are like the best warriors on the planet. Yeah. So there does have to be a little bit of a give and take there. And this is a better version of that. Yeah. Love it. They're so coordinated in, in their keep away game too. A lot of that is in the other one as well. But I just love that they're, there's not a lot of verbal cues going on. They're just like, we got to get this freaking thing away. Like I really love the tying the rope around the mother box and shooting the arrow so that the yeah. other person dives for the arrow. And like all they're trying to do is like just create some distance. I just love uh -huh. that they're like just playing catch with the mother box. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, moving on, Bruce tells Alfred in that uh, plane scene you were talking about that he made a promise on Cal's grave. And that scene is served to set up Bruce's motivations much more clearly because I think Ben was saying his criticism of the other film, the other version, was that he has this very night and day, I'm a fully different person now, and and I loved him, and I need to honor him, and, you know, like, well, where is all this coming from? And so I'm I extrapolating... Suit to beat that guy up. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> I'm extrapolating all this yeah. extra shit going like, well, yeah, but if you think about it, it's like this, you know, and, and here they just actually give that to you. And I don't have to explain why I think it's just there. This movie is better about that, but it still has the same problem. And it's just fundamental to the story that this is a Superman who was around for like a year. He wasn't around that long. None of these people knew him. The way everyone is reacting to him and reacting to the loss and reacting to how much they want it back. What it really should be is just like, oh yeah, this guy's the strongest guy around. We need him back. Instead of the way they present it in this version as well, where it's like, oh, he was the best of us. Oh, he's such a great guy and such a good hero. And this universe, I never saw any of that where like they have this deep connection to him. I get regular people maybe because he's a God and he's there's has that Messiah thing, but like it still has the problem of Batman. You knew him for a week or two and you tried to kill him. I, I get it. You I mean, feel guilty about that. You're a good guy. Yeah. In BVS, there was the whole cultural context about, he was very polarizing, I mean, and again, I can justify this a million ways, but we don't have time for all that. We don't have time for your mental gymnastics. We go to Atlantis, and there's a Willem Dafoe cameo. And at first I was like, why is Arthur being such a bitch? And I was like, oh, this is before Aquaman. I forget. <laughs> yeah, me and Amber had a real moment. I was like, one, what is Willem Dafoe doing? Because <laughs> I've only seen Aquaman one time. So like, what the fuck? He looks a lot like Gollum here. <laughs> and well, he's so tiny in comparison to Jason. Got, yeah, well, there's just some shots where it's like very hard above him, and he's like looking up into it like a big-eyed baby. He just looks looks like a cave, like a long-haired cave troll. <laughs> well, he's also just higher up than him, so it, on a step or something. It yeah. sells it even I, more. I forgot that he existed, though. I was like, I don't get this. Then me and Amber realized that this is pre-Aquaman and like, no, okay. I didn't see Aquaman he, so I didn't even know he was yeah. <laughs> uh, he just took a break from the lighthouse where he was hanging out with Batman and then 
He dipped down there to Atlanta. Me and Amber just watched Boondock Saints, and I was like, "How is Willem Dafoe <laughs> go from being like a cross-dressing cop to now he's a, an Atlantean?" Well, like, I, I had that thought watching this scene where I was like, "Well, Willem Dafoe is an actor who like he only does things because he wants to." Yeah, and whether that's because like they wrote him a huge check, or he's like. Yeah, I would love to be in this weird comic book thing and wear this weird outfit and do this kind of stuff. And then I had a little thought of like, which is it for him in this? Because he's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Was he like, I'm just doing this to buy another house? Or was he like, yeah, I dig wearing these clothes. This is really cool. Yeah, super dope. Well, I mean, Aquaman was pretty revered at the time. And, you know, you've got like Nicole Kidman and some pretty high caliber actors in that movie. And, and, you know, it's still an Aquaman movie, so, I mean, the things that happen are kind of dumb, but it's really, really well made, and, um, you know, it's it's a great cast. I think it's before this scene, Aquaman rescues the man on the ocean, and his boat's getting capsized or whatever. Yeah. And then he goes to leave, and there's no Icky Thump playing, and I was like, ah, that's kind of a shame, it's a different song. But I knew I you like, would not like that. long? Yeah, but I was like, but as long he does, as he doesn't throw that bottle in the water, yep. he's totally good. And then he fucking throws the bottle in the water. <laughs> Still uh, a litter bug. Yeah, I was watching like, for I that, care, too. Zach, you're a litter bug. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I like this version more because the, the tone of that scene was much more like like a drunk. Like a guy who well, mm-hmm. stuff and he wandered off to go drink by himself in the water. It's like, it's sad. It's not like fucking rad, man. But there was a an extra line, if I'm not mistaken. There was a, a good Aquaman line. Because before, he throws the guy down, he asks for a whiskey, and he says, put it on his tab, right? But in this one, there's a line in between there where he says something like, tell these guys to respect the storm. storm." And I like that because, I mean, I'm a person who does not go out on the water. I do not fuck with that. But I go to the coast a lot, and I have a healthy fear and respect of that ocean, you know? So the fact that he had to waste his fucking time saving this guy's life because he, does, he was an asshole out there when he shouldn't have been. I just, I like that little extra layer in one line. When I saw that, I couldn't remember if that was in the other one or not. I was like, that was nice. Did he say that before? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't think you did either. All right, so here we get the first introduction of Desaad speaking to Steppenwolf and we sort of understand this hierarchy, right? And that he is paying a penance and he has to conquer these worlds for Darkseid to kind of reestablish himself. You know, if you're in uh, middle management, uh, he's on a performance plan, let's say. So we're understanding his motivations, his background a little more other than someone who just like comes to Earth to fuck shit up and conquer, you know? Because that's his thing. Yeah. And uh, in reality, that's Darkseid's thing. But I like it. gives a little more depth here. And it also plays in sort of a Force Awakens, Snoke to Kylo Ren sort of situation. Before that all was revealed to be pointless, yes. And like he can't even talk to Darkseid directly. He has to talk to his fucking Bob the Goon first. I'm with you. I like it. It gives it more context. And it's just kind of neat to hint at things that we don't see. But this becomes another thing, like I complained about before, where the another moment of like, you had a cool thing and then you went too far with it. But at this point, they're not too far. Introducing Desaad, you know, there's somebody above this who's more dangerous. Who this guy is the big baddie. He he's below him and he serves him. So you know this guy's dangerous. And we're not going to explain who Desaad is. We're not going to explain any of this stuff because just soak it up. That's cool. I like that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of mysterious, like, okay, what's going on? And then also it just puts Steppenwolf in his place because we've established him as a threat. And also Superman is going to fuck this dude up in the end. And we saw it in the first one too. Like, well, he's got to go save the Russians or this fight's going to be over in 10 seconds, right? And in this one, he just does fuck him up really quickly, right? And so for the League... Remember, this is supposed to be part of a of a series, the first Justice League. You got to establish that there is bigger, meaner motherfuckers up the food chain. And little elements like that are, but to jump ahead to the when this becomes stupid is introducing the anti-life equation. We've already established that there's a guy who's more dangerous. We don't know what his motivations are. That's more interesting. That's more ominous than there's an anti-life equation. It's on this place. This movie's four hours long. I don't care. I could see that, but I, I don't think so because what they're doing is establishing Darkseid's investment and in like why he would care enough to then come back next time. That's stupid. Darkseid cares enough because Superman's there and he wants to kick Superman's ass to put him in his place for fucking up his lackey. That's why he cares. Fair That's enough, but mean. I mean, we've complimented... Sam, remember this movie's four hours long. That does need all that stuff. It does not bother me. But it doesn't bother me either, but we don't need this extra stuff. We have complimented though the ability to develop every character and their motivations. So the fact that they even give this cameo bad guy his reasoning for coming back and, and what he's actually after, that's the same thing that they are doing well in all these other characters. Why shouldn't he, the biggest, baddest guy, get the same development? Because he's not the bad guy of this movie. Steppenwolf is the bad guy of this movie. Okay. It's enough to establish that he exists and that he has some kind of ulterior motives and he's stronger than the person we're facing here. That's enough. Okay. That's enough. I thought that it was cool that Darkseid was around, but like how he's in the whole ancient history battle of the past montage, I thought that it was cool that it was him, only it kind of did a thing that bums me out sometimes where I know that you have, or what I perceive to be like, these apocalypse level like egomaniac demigods and i picture that they like talk a lot not that they're grunting things but they probably just want to prattle like all the time and talk about how stupid we are and how weak we are and so for him to not do very much talking at all didn't seem very in character to me so it's for just him kind to of, get beat in a flashback yeah it made it's him seem like a good, this movie. Yeah. yeah and then you think that a dude that was that smart or would be that taken aback by defeat would remember the one place that he left the boxes or that he left this equation? Like you yeah, think you that, would that, think that you do you I wouldn't think that that man would rest at all. Maybe he'd forget. write a note or put yeah. a like a little computer like but somehow it's they says, like they punch the yes. memory out of his brain or something and he can't remember the one planet where he was defeated. <laughs> Also and the it also has the equation. Also the planet, yeah, also the other yeah. two things that you want. I'll give you that for sure. I thought the same thing. But oh! <laughs> to Ben's point, though, about him getting beat in the flashback, what I thought was that it shows how this team of six needs to accomplish what they used to have 6,000, you know, 6,000 people in these aligned armies to accomplish the first time 
all tribes were together to fight this guy, right? And now uh, Steppenwolf says they are fractured. They can be taken like they, they're divided. And so seeing his opportunity, all right, well, shit, if that's the case, then they're no match for us. I'm coming back, right? And so now establishing this team has to compensate for that. I still think that should be Steppenwolf. They fight in the flashback and have him be... I mean, because if you're going like into deeper stuff, yeah, like Zeus and those gods are actually are more powerful than Superman and those people. But this movie doesn't tell you any of that, doesn't explain any of that. You wouldn't know that unless you were deep in those comics. So you should use that for Steppenwolf. And you can still have Darkseid be involved in that flashback of being like, oh, you failed me, Steppenwolf. Now I'm going to cast you out and you cannot return. Like, that's where you dump all that shit. But it's just, no, you, well, it's bad. So we didn't I like what the you're saying, and they do that, and that's good. Use that for Steppenwolf, not Darkseid. So we didn't like the extended flashback sequence where they they put Darkseid in there. You wouldn't have done that. You don't like it. I like no. Ben's version better, where it's like Steppenwolf is back because he needs to make up for his disgrace because they talk about him coming back into his good graces. Yeah, but otherwise they don't talk about why he's not in his good graces. Like yeah, if that's you have the a whole case, scene then, that can do that for you. You can leave that yeah. scene exactly the same because it's a cool scene. It's a so, fun action scene, great effects. Then you don't have but to talk have, about why Darkseid didn't remember. No. <laughs> what? He's supposed to be the biggest, baddest villain in the next movie, and we already saw him get his ass kicked, so I'm not that scared of him. Uh, somehow Wonder Woman jumps down into the catacombs and doesn't break the heels on her high-heeled shoes. I saw that. I When I watched it the second time, it was with Ange for her first time and i was like yo her heel game is like on another level in this scene watch and she, and she laughs because she thought i was like uh, like i don't know she's got looks hot in those shoes or something i was like no 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 wait i was like watch when she jumps down there and not only does she just land perfectly but then just walks down these like jagged stone stairs mm-hmm. really gracefully and and i was like see that's that's skill right there Behold the structural integrity and the poise. <laughs> Incredible. So it's sort of all lumped together. The Steppenwolf and Desaad, Gal explaining what she found in this hieroglyph scene that narrates the flashback with greater detail and more violence and more epic awesomeness. And then Bruce and Diana are in the cave watching the footage that we saw from Lex's computer in the BVS, right? Mm-hmm. I like this. And we had talked about like bringing in Wonder Woman and Batman is plenty. Let's save a little for the next movie. I thought it'd be great if they had just showed those little icons. He looks at hers and then the others like are just, we didn't get to see those yet. And now we see them watching those in this. I thought they, they did it better in this. I thought it made more sense because they're out there together trying to find them. You know, she's like, all right, you go after Barry. I'll go after number four. He's the cyborg, you know. I don't know. I, I just thought that that scene was a better version of what we saw before. Yeah, and that's the problem that both Batman vs. Superman and this movie have is trying to be an origin story for so many characters that's clumsy and messy, but this, as you say, this is the better version of that. And I also just like any kind of Batman, Wonder Woman, romantic tension, romance scene. I will always be on board for that. You like so, the hand on the mouse? I don't even remember that. Was it like an awkward, like where he accidentally touched her? Yeah, they touched hands. Uh, yeah. The- yeah oh, I, I don't remember that, but I liked it, yeah. <laughs> I would like it. Well, you better watch it all again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Here is where we're introduced to Barry, and he has the uh, rescue Iris scene, which is entertaining, and it's something the fans were like, well, why wasn't this... It was in the first fucking trailer. Why, where was this shit? You know, that was part of the thing that drove this whole shit. Like, we saw young Victor Stone on the football field. Like, where's his backstory? You know, and so when we finally see this, I think it's a good scene, and I like... Barry being frustrated by the slow old lady because he's so fast and just like nickel, penny, dime. Come on, lady. You know, it's like so, she's a hundred years old. It's the final moments of her life. Jesus Christ. You know, I I like that beautifully shot sequence. It's somber. I like the tone of it. Ties into nothing though, and and that's one of the only things that I th- think was actually okay that they cut because they never establish her name. They don't revisit her later. So she could have really been anyone and just assigning her the name. It's just an Easter egg. She was Iris. I thought it was just a girl that he's like, oh yeah, she's cute. No. I will save her. Yeah, she was cast as that, but they just don't develop it. And so as much as I love the Quicksilver hot dog grab and then like, oh yeah, you always got to bring meats when you're out with dogs. It calms them. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, I love that whole gag. I love the visuals. But because it doesn't ever come back and they don't build on it, I feel like that's one of the only scenes that was rightfully cut. Well, it's because it has this movie has to be a flash origin story. So this movie to do that does need a scene like that where he on his own separate from the main conflict, we see him do some kind of heroic thing using his special abilities. That's what it's for. I mean, you're right that it doesn't tie into the rest of the story, but because this movie has to be his first movie, that's what so, it's there for. I don't Again, I didn't dislike the scene. I liked the scene. I was just thinking in terms of like, well, what they had to do the other version it's like well this doesn't really add up to anything they still give you the heart to heart with his dad and no stupid glasses gag and more dialogue and they're building on the situation that he's in right i thought that was really well done but i guess you just got to see a superpower version before the team is that what you're saying yeah, you need an introduction to the character. And although the whole thing with Flash wanting to be like a crime lab guy to investigate his father's framing and all that, that's important to the character. I don't think that's important for the audience. It's important for the audience to see him do cool Flash stuff hmm. and save somebody. That's neat. Yeah, that's that's a better usage of time. I'm the opposite on that because, you know, we see him have that heroic moment at the end that saves the day. But in the epilogue of both films, he goes back and visits his dad. And there's the important thing is not that I saved the world, right? The important thing is this little growth towards a step that actually means something to me and my family. It's character resolution, yeah. But no, the important thing was saving the world. That's this crime lab thing is whatever. Who cares? But yeah, but we talked about before, you know, I like a Gotham City Batman story because the stakes are more personal and you feel that, whatever. And it's so much easier to just play up this big spectacle of, oh, it's the end of the world. We're going to save the world, you know? Like, in the other movie, they had, like, Steppenwolf's not talking about this. He's trying to burn down the world. And I was like, that is so stupid, and I don't care. But in this, when they give each character human stuff, that's what makes me care. Which is good in general, but I think the Victor Stone story is a much better version of that. For sure. Because all his, his parent stuff and his issues with his dad is intertwined in the story and the conflicts that happen where the Barry Allen and his dad stuff is completely separate from it. It's important for the character of the flash. It's not important for this movie at all. Yeah. And I love Victor's section here where, 
he is in trouble in school for hacking the grades of a classmate who, well, I believe lost her home or something like that, you know? And she's like, you know, my son helped this girl who went through this. What did you do to help her? And it's like, okay, this is cool. You're seeing sort of a, uh, a righteous indignation, right? This is his role model and is totally backing him on doing some shit that's outside of the box, but to help people, you know? There's all this stuff with Ray Fisher surrounding the production of this movie. But I mean, he, what they added for his character, the cyborg's character, is, I think, the best change in the movie. He went from being, in the previous one, just kind of like an asshole and annoyed and annoying and condescending to while still being kind of gruff. None of that. He was, like, important to the team. He had, you know, things that were important to him. He had a sense of idealism. He wasn't just, like, a dick to his dad because he saved him. There was, yeah. there was just so much more to that character. The Silas Stone stuff that was cut from this movie is perhaps the biggest loss of the original one, you know? I mean, I just rewatched the epilogue from the original with Lois Lane's narration, and there's a scene of, like, Cyborg and Silas at Star Labs, you know, working together or something, and just three seconds of you're supposed to feel good for them or whatever, but they had replaced Victor at his father's grave you know, like this is such a heavier uh, moment for the end of the film, and his motivations and his traumas are so much more prevalent than anybody else in this story. Yeah. The whole father-son relationship and what Silas brings to the actual plot of the film, not just that character, is significant. One of the most emotional moments in the movie, or one of the, the moments that I felt the most, I like had a real human reaction to, was just the scene when they're in the car and he's driving back. His mom's driving him back from the, the game. Yeah. He's like, Dad wasn't there. And like, he like, starts crying just for a moment. It's really yeah. subtle. But it's like, oh, you're a person. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah, and as a child of divorce, when they show the moment where he makes the touchdown and wins the game and he's celebrating and they show his mom celebrating and the camera slowly pans down to the empty seat, I'm like, I know that feeling. That fucking sucks. You know, <laughs> like yeah. that, that shit was great to me. Also, right, right, right after that, yeah. I did play football in the fourth and fifth grade. They called me okay. Sammy Seau. Yeah. Oh. In that scene, they follow it with the hospital and Silas being told his wife didn't make it. And he vows to his son, I will not let you die. Right. And it's more than just the little experimentation montage that we saw before. You know, it again, it makes all this fantastic stuff. Grounded. Yeah, and it fleshes Silas out too because, again, the whole vibe from the previous movie was like Cyborg's pissed because his dad like turned him into a monster because he was yeah. selfish and thoughtless. When this one, it's like, no, he's pissed because he is a monster, but his dad wasn't like trying to make him a monster. He just was trying to save him. That's all. And they have all this want him to die. baggage too of like he, it's sort of like Bruce saying like, you know, I failed him in life. I won't fail him in death. It's like, God, I fucked up. I should have been there. Victor even says at one point, well, mom would still be alive if you had just showed up. That whole night would have gone differently, you know? And it's it's like they have all this baggage, and yet the creation of Cyborg was his sort of trying to make this right, trying to overcompensate and save him. Well, that's a central theme of the movie is that Cyborg accepting what he is now as a good thing and what he can do now as a good thing. That's his character's arc. It's yeah. not 
really there in the previous version of the movie. Yeah, and I, I think the whole sequence with the tape recorder and describing all his powers and like you can you know manipulate the world's financial system like playing with a child's toy and all this stuff and seeing him find this woman who's evicted and and starving practically and and just give her all this money and stuff it's it's just another example of the the moment that they alluded to earlier in school yeah that's another moment where i had a little feeling just him helping that lady or like stopping the flood of nukes in the sky, like in showing how how powerful he is and saying that like the sort of Spider-Man great responsibility thing of like the, the challenge will not be doing these things, but not doing them and not intervening and meddling with human affairs, you know? And it just gives so much more weight to his character's powers. Well, in the previous version, especially if you weren't familiar with the character at all, he's just robot man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like that's it. There's nothing to him beyond that. There's nothing about how extreme his powers are, or any of that inner conflict. And again, it's four hours long, but like I wasn't bored, and I, I was happy with the stuff they added. Yeah, yes. I think that that's cool because it, it's easy to, like you're saying, just on the surface level, like oh, he's just an enhanced dude. Not that he's like a living, changing computer thing. And so it's cool to give him more of a service and to paint a picture about how relevant he is, especially in a modern world. Yeah. And I didn't like in the last one, how like brooding teenager he seemed. And I didn't like that first scene where he's like chilling in the hoodie in his dad's place. And, and he just seems like, I get why you would be miffed, but the way that he was presented was just like some pissy teenager. And I didn't like that. So it made me really happy that while he is struggling, that scene in particular and just the way that he got written are like he's going through some stuff but he's handling it in a a more adult matter and he's not just like dragging his feet and throwing fits and being a turd well and he is a little bit because when diana meets him she is like you have gifts and he said this in the other one like they don't feel like gifts or whatever right and and but she says like for for the world the world needs you and he comes out with the Tupac shit and is like, fuck the world, and essentially storms off. But right before doing that, she says, I am working on this, and you are too, or you wouldn't have come. And I like that. I think we should have, if this was a less epic, crazy story with all these characters, if this was more of a cyborg story, I think we would have got a little more of him having to work through that and come out of his shell. But I like that they give him enough of like, yeah, this dude's in a really rotten place and he needs some examples of how to move forward and how to find his former self in this new life. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I I think things about the Joss Whedon version that clearly were added to, to try and humanize it, it's better that it doesn't have them. Yeah, this movie humanizes the characters through more the actions rather than just like dialogue between two characters. It's more about yeah, what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah, I think one of the more interesting comparisons you could make between the two films is the next scene when Bruce visits Barry. It's like all the best stuff in the theatrical cut were taken straight from this movie mm-hmm. and all the stuff we didn't like was added for the most part you know and it's just like extra jokes this is another scene where i had a hard time telling what was different this scene was identical 
except K-pop was not playing in the background on this version. <laughs> uh-huh. The Batarang moment where he grabs and catches it. This is one of the moments where in the other one, he grabs it and then it cuts back to Bruce's face of kind of like the exhale, you know? And in this one, he grabs it and stays, but it's like they're filming it in real time and his body is just kind of doing the natural shake a little bit as he slowly brings it back instead of just shooting it regular speed and slowing it down or something. I don't know. Like they have so many effective slow-mo shots that when he grabs that and it lingers on holding the batarang and it gets a little odd for me. But yeah, aside from that cut and the K-pop in the beginning, the only difference is they added all the weird brunch jokes at the end where he's like, I need friends. Like what is brunch? You know, like I don't understand, you know, that shit was gone. Oh, and and then another thing, just slight timing-wise, when they're getting in the car, the lines are exactly the same, but they cut it slightly differently when Bruce says, I'm rich. All three times I watched that, and I was like, why is this joke not landing to me when they're using the same takes? I don't understand why it's not as funny to me. And I pulled up the original scene, and there's just like a half second or something comedic pause there in in the theatrical cut and i think i'm just so used to seeing that that it felt really like what's your superpower again and he just immediately like i know what you're what you're saying and and just <laughs> i already have my answer yeah my head, i'm rich he just says it right away and it, it felt a little weird some of the jokes in this version had that kind of feeling but in a way that worked better because they just seemed like little funny lines that were not designed to get a laugh they're just little funny lines and it's not for us it's for each other in the scene. Yeah. That makes sense. What I thought was kind of interesting, though I didn't make any comparisons to the other one, was that I did notice that this was like a more stripped-down version of, of some of the jokes and just the flash quirkiness. But I noticed that the music was different. Yeah. And it was weird for me to be thinking about how just the music in the scene would change my perceptions Yep. Of the lines, because I swear that in the other one, there is some music, but then a lot of the dialogue is like left empty without music. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it seem like it's more, uh, you're in a group of people and somebody says something stupid and everybody's like, oh, and it's like the pause and the silence that makes it more like, Ugh. yeah. and I think that the theatrical one does more of that when they leave there is no extra MCS. sound. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like, uh, so between the way I already felt about some of the lines and then the extra lines and then the fact that there wasn't any extra music, it just left me feeling like, I don't really like this dude. And then in this one, there was less of it. And then the addition of just some like lingering background music. Mm -hmm. Or the beginning of the next song starting up underneath it. Yeah. It just like softened the whole thing for me. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't know. It just... It's weird, and I don't know that the music that they did play was actually relevant in the way that I felt about it, but I guess just having something versus having nothing actually did affect me. Well, let's talk about the music a little bit, because uh, there's not really a specific place we need to do so, but we talked about him being replaced by Danny Elfman last time. How do we feel about the Tom Holkenborg score for this movie? I didn't notice it. Good or bad, I didn't know. 
I didn't have anything like, wow, this is really good, and it didn't bother me either. What I noticed about the music was just where they chose to include and exclude portions mm-hmm. that I'd like come to be semi-familiar with from the other one, but not what his soundtrack was specifically. I think the first viewing, I... I really disliked it. In fact, I wasn't going to take notes on the first viewing. And then I was sitting there going, I don't like this music. And so I wrote up like my template for episode notes and, and started my cons of like, I don't, I like, don't like this fucking music. music. Right. And what they were doing in like the first hour, you get this a few times of this weird sort of like Indian or Middle Eastern like yodeling thing. Yeah. And... <laughs> And it seems so, yeah, it just seems so out of place. And I think I don't like lead vocals in a score ever. I just don't. I, you know, if you're going to be Batman Returns, Elfman, and using choirs and cool shit like that, that's great, using vocals as an instrument. But, like, if you're just going to lead guitar a yodel solo, <laughs> that's not for me. And, and I didn't notice it on repeat viewings, but the first time I was like, Jesus Christ, can you just stop? Like, I, I think because, again, I have a version that I've seen, and so the differences are really standing out. It made yep. me think of Team America making fun of oh. terrorist music. Yes. Anytime, yeah. like, anytime we're in the Middle East, it's like you have the prayer music starts playing. And- yeah, exactly. And they were trying to like do a stereotype, and I'm not saying that that's like, what this is. It was just... Maybe it's just out of place for the genre, and I was confused. I don't know, but uh, I didn't love it. And then as it's going on in the uh, the scene where they're fighting the parademons under the harbor and we're getting some of the like guitar music, I was like, that's weird, because it's almost like it reminded me of that Gary Clark Jr. come together stuff or, or, or some, some of the actual like rock songs that were used in the other one. But it, it really grew on me, actually, and I, I, I came to like that more on repeat viewings. Again, so much of it for me was just having to like familiarize myself enough with this one that I could just watch the movie and listen to the music of it as opposed to compare the music of it. I think first time around between the sweater sniffer and then the vocal <laughs> yodels, you just, it's a little too much culture shock. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the first made a little bit. first half hour, it's like, this is not Gotham. I, I have a question. At what point does the Flash actually need to use his suit? Because they talk about the heat resistance, like especially. Yeah. But you get multiple scenes where he uses his powers without using the suit, and he's not affected. Even when he does wear the suit, his eyeballs and mouth hole are exposed. Well, and it's like maybe maybe the suit is supposed to protect his clothes from burning up, but those don't ever burn up either. I mean, his shoes burned up in that first scene, which was great. I love that. Um, but his clothes were fine. Yeah, yeah. But I think that if we're to dig into this, he mentions a couple different times, like if he reaches the speed of light, things happen, shit goes bad. We also see very briefly him in that face shield version that we got in the BVS cameo, um, which I thought when I saw it, I was like, you know what? Seeing this costume again, this version of the costume sort of answers Evan's issues with the character that we had before about like, well, his face and his eyeballs are hanging out. But um, 
I also a flash problem in general. But I also just think it looks stupid that way, and I like his regular suit. And so at some point, you just got to concede. Flash is another guy where like his power is being really fast. Yeah, but there must be some other stuff that goes along with it that allows his body to take the force yeah. of moving mm-hmm. at that speed and or and rapidly decelerating. I mean, that would like destroy your organs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some, but again, that's just the problem with the Flash. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. constantly have whiplash. Yeah, it's not just that he can go fast, but also that he can withstand whatever that entails. Later on, he heals himself, so he has like speedy regenerative abilities. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys so, ever watch The League? No. Yeah, I think I watched all of it, but I don't yeah. remember any of it. There's a character, Rafi, who frequently has hot dogs stored in his like pockets, and he just calls them pocket dogs, and that's what the Flash scene made me think of. Nice. <laughs> uh, here we have Cyborg taking the mother box out of his apartment and burying it in his own empty grave. I find that little thing significant because that's what you do. Yeah, that's what I've always done. No, but because Silas is captured by the parademon in his apartment, right? Why is the parademon there? We had the shot earlier where a parademon's trying to get in the window and Victor's like holding the box on the other side of the brick wall like oh shit, they're coming in. And then people on the street see the parademon and he flies away, right? And so Victor knows this. They're coming to the apartment because they've found it. He's like, all right, I got to hide it. So I bury it, right? But adding to their father-son bullshit, now he's going to have this added guilt to rescue his dad from the situation because, well, I moved the shit out of there. They couldn't just take it. They took my fucking dad, you know? And so I like the layers that it adds to it just kind of subtly. Yeah, when he goes to rescue him, there's that nice moment where, which maybe wasn't in the other version. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, you came. And he's like, well, you're my father. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, whatever's going on. I, I don't yeah. like you, but I want you to live. <laughs> yeah. Steppenwolf storms Atlantis, and that is, uh, I feel like, similar, but a little more brutal than the other one. Mm. I, I posted a clip to Instagram last night because what... In both versions, Mara fights him pretty good. But in this one, she does this thing to his face. And I was like, is she like trying to drown him or like what? And I was like, no, it looks like fucking like some blood is coming out or something. Like, what is that? And everyone was replying to my story. It's like, oh, she's taking all the water out of his body. I'm like, oh, okay. Yes. I thought that was awesome. awesome. It's like she sucks all the water out, and then when there's no more water, it just starts sucking the blood out. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, God, oh. Yeah, I like Drop that. Her, uh. I was like, I'm not sure what this is, because it only happens for like two and a half seconds, but whatever it is, he doesn't like it, and it looks cool. <laughs> That's also definitely in the Mortal Kombat category. <laughs> yeah, blood <laughs> yeah. Oh, fatality <laughs> move, Vera. Which is tight, too, because that makes it seem like maybe she could really hurt him had that gone on any longer. Yeah, putting these people on like a more level playing field that makes it look like she could have done some damage or like maybe even taken him out if it kept going. Yeah, Ange pointed out that when we see Steppenwolf's force field created, she goes, "That looks like a giant veiny ball sack." 
It's like, good observation, lady. <laughs> sure does. Your giant yeah, I'm never gonna unsee that again. Now, yeah, <laughs> it's like if you put a flashlight to your ball sack, I guess, because it's got that <laughs> little red. <laughs> It's like the, yeah, the yeah, the wind is thinking, yeah, you can shine a light through your ears and see all the veins. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, it's like yeah. that. Totally. I wonder if that was like in their mind when they're, you know, like design phase. It's a huge scrotum. That's what we're going for, guys. <laughs> well, it sure beats the big spinning ring of trash in the sky. I'll tell you that. Does it beat the Star Wars Episode One Blue Bubble Dome? I don't remember for that. Testicular reference or for no, just in general. Oh. No, so, just you know, not sorry, I avoid the you know, prequels. We, we ragged on the prequels, but I will say episode one is the only one that has like a bunch of actual sets. That's the mm. best offender of the prequels for the thing that this movie didn't bother me as much at either. Where maybe it's just more of that consistency thing, where it never really felt like we were in a place. But yeah. it was okay because the whole thing felt like that. Yeah, and you know what? We talked about the last act like the doomsday stuff and sort of just the DC third act stuff in general, like wonder woman with Aries or, or whatever that at a certain point you leave the real world and you go to this CGI slug fest. Right. Uh, and yet the consistency throughout this whole movie, I never felt like I wasn't invested or I didn't care what was happening or I couldn't relate to something like it always, felt real enough and it's not that there weren't little moments of effects where you can tell their effects but like it just they did something right yeah, maybe it's the four three maybe it's having a <laughs> yeah, it's ratio, yeah it's the compression uh, i think that we've talked about this a little bit before too the the grittier and the darker you make something with cg the more it blends mm -hmm. with everything than if you try to go like smooth and bright because then it starts looking unrealistic so at least this yeah. one they're already using a technique that is more likely to mesh well and then they just maintain it the whole time versus the theatrical one kind of going like in and out of that a bit yeah um, and just looking cheesier in general Commissioner Gordon meets the gang that's relatively unchanged and then the Strikers Island fight under Gotham Harbor oh by the way fuck those goddamn Steppenwolf mind spiders. No. Yeah. No. That's my jam. No. But uh, I loved when he sees her and, you know, there's that great shot of him like looking like, can I get my axe? Can I get my axe? Can I get my axe? I'm going for the axe, you know, and then they square off. He tells the parademons like, no, this one's mine. And she gives that great like, I belong to no one. Fuck you. Like, uh, mm, love it, it. It says something about like her being different. You know, because that's the first than the time. Other that, Amazons. Yeah, yep. yeah, he's like, you're different. Mm -hmm. Stronger. Mm. I like the, when. the Batman. Save one person. Flash. No, yeah. Yeah, no hostage talk. But they kind of they cram it in a little bit with the same, like, just get him out of here and we'll help some more. Like, you know, the first time, first time I heard him yell again, first viewing, and I was like, that is weird. Because I've heard Christian Bale yell where he's doing the rasp, but Affleck solely uses the voice modulator. And so that sounded so weird the first time, and then I didn't even notice the second time, so I guess it wasn't that weird. I liked it. I, I missed that mentor moment, but they, I'm still okay with it. Yeah. I kind of liked it both ways. I liked that the way the mentoring moment and the other one kind of played into his 
being edgy and his reluctance and him being new to this. Mm -hmm. But what I liked in this one was that the exclusion of that made him seem like he was a person who was already ready to jump into the fray with these people. And that was a made up story for that version. It's like they took trying to become a hero, the script and almost made fun of it in the Whedon version, because in this one, he gets confronted by a parademon shooting at him. And he's like, zip, 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 zip. And then goes behind the thing and shoves it, right? Uh-huh. In the other one, he doesn't do that. He says, I've never done battle. I've only just pushed some people and run away. Uh-huh. And so it's like, is this an in-joke shitting on the old script? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Flash it's, runs around and then pushes the guy. Yeah. I also like seeing it, though, too, because, you know, he, he said it, but then you get to see an example of it. But then later on, when he tries to push Superman, because that's his whole jam, yeah, it totally doesn't work out, and it pushes him instead. So yeah. you get an example of like what that actually looked like. You know, it's the worst like body check you can imagine. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then versus Superman, it's that bounces you off. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a good contrast. I think that this would be a good time to mention that we had addressed the redesign of Steppenwolf and kind of liking the redesign. But the more I watch this, uh, the more I really like it. And like the way his suit is kind of fluid and moves, it's like an intelligent armor in a way. And it's spiky and mean. When he's talking to Darkseid, it retracts because he's exposing himself more because he's subordinate to him. His body Uh looks real stupid. Like the idea of that being a helmet with horns is what I thought. And then when you see him and no, that's just the shape of my fucking head. I'm like, oh, you are hideous. How do you get through doorways? (laughs) (laughs) But when he's like interrogating people in this scene, I thought that was much more intimidating this time. They cut some of his dialogue. Yeah. They cut it down. So he's still, he doesn't seem like a monster. He still can be articulate, but he just talks less. And that that scene where he catches the missile and lets it go into the side of the uh, tunnel to then flood it, it's much simpler, much shorter, much more like he just thought it, did it. And then left. And, and they don't have to spell it out. out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Another thing on the first viewing, I was like, wow, they're really affecting his voice a lot more. And it yeah. sort of had the like Dark Knight quality of like, whoa, they're ramping it up. But it works with his just big demonic fucking vibe. Like I, I especially like Dark Side's voice, but I think that uh, it really grew on me. I think that Steppenwolf and Cyborg got a different vocal treatment in this, and I liked both of them better. There's a cool exchange with uh, Cyborg and Flash rescuing the uh, Star Lab prisoners, right, and taking them all out. Cyborg looks at him like, yo, get back inside. And Barry goes, right, aliens, bad guys, sword lady. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping in mind that none of these people know each other, and it's in a crazy, crazy fucking situation. Steppenwolf returns to his two mother boxes and discovers the location of the anti-life equation and pledges this... Oh, my God, the anti-life equation. ...to dark yes. side. Yeah. Oh, one man, thing, I was jumped up and I shouted, yeah! <laughs> uh, one thing I didn't like about that previous scene was that when Aquaman comes in, it's different than the theatrical one where the hole gets busted and the water starts flooding in. In the other one... It's like the water starts flooding, then it gets pretty dire, and it's pretty close to them before he pops out and holds back the wave. But in this one, it's like, 
like he was hanging outside the tunnel waiting for there to hold, like a hole to be blown into it. And then there's a hole and then he immediately comes in and I didn't really, I already knew what's going to go on, but it didn't create any like tension or mm. a real. Oh, he's here. Or, yeah. yeah. He's here. He's here already. He's, he just shows up in the wave and you see his silhouette a couple times and then he pops out. I like it better where it came from nothing. Yeah. And there he is all of a sudden versus seeing his watery silhouette right off the bat. Yeah, I could see that. And th- there's another thing there that, again, just nitpicking the editing where Flash is hurt and Batman's kind of carrying him a little bit. They turn and see the flood, like, oh shit. Barry's like, who's that? And it cuts back to Aquaman doing shit. And then it cuts back to them still standing there again. And then they turn and go. And it was just like one of those, you didn't need to linger on this. If you see Uh, that's happening, you might have the who's that thought as you continue to run for your lives. But you're not going to. Who is that? It was sort of like the Dark Knight Rises, like, no, I came here to stop you and just stand there for a minute and then resume action. But like, pause, say line, then do action as opposed to like, this is a line that's coming as I'm thinking it while we're doing the action. Yeah. So it's just a tiny person carrying the person keeps moving forward and the other person (laughs) looks backwards and then tells them about it. Yeah. Or nobody does. And you just focus on the task at hand. You just got to get out of that. I think it was delivered fine. It was just the cutting back to it and they're still standing there. Like, come on. Yeah. Wow. Um, That water's really creeping in. (laughs) Yeah. We better get out of here. Somebody should do something. Give it a minute. (laughs) I can't, Correct me if I'm wrong, but like they wrong. Can't. <laughs> I just watched Superman Returns, and I was thinking about when uh, Lex Luthor has Lois Lane tied up, and he's like, "Oh no, say it! I know you're thinking it. Go ahead and say it." And she's like, "Superman will stop," and he just goes wrong over the top of her. <laughs> I wanted to do that, but it wouldn't translate very well, you know. You can just edit it in post. Yeah, there you go. Come on, I know it's just dangling off the tip of your tongue. Let me hear it just once, please. Superman will wrong. They when they're they're climbing up the walls in their spider bot. I can't remember if this is in the first one or not, but they get pretty far up, and then I'm pretty sure like Cyborg books it. Yeah. And everybody's like. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> I feel like this was explained a little bit in the other one. Well, this one. Yeah, like yeah. They, they get to the top and he's like, that's far enough, I'm out of here. In the other one, it was, again, sort of knocking the weird situation that they were left in, in that scene, where Flash goes, did he really just bail? And that was just ADR, because it's still just the overhead shot of them all hanging there. And that uh, is a weird cut. I will. Yeah, it's strange. I agree with you. It doesn't make sense. And made it more prominent to me. Like, <laughs> if anything, we should have gone with Victor because in the next scene, Victor shows up with the last mother box. So they it shows what he went off to do, right? Mm. He got it. And that's when they all kind of conspire to revive Cal. And we get the cool shot of the like the red cape in the hologram, like the red cape in the foreground. And that was in one of the very first trailers as a tease of like, oh shit, like they're doing it, they're bringing him back, you know. And then was not in the actual movie. But there's a line in that scene where Dan is like, I've never seen a being this strong, except for him. Except, I'm like, ah, oh, just 
we everyone knows who it is. You don't have to hit it on the nose so hard. We're dumb in some ways, but we're not that dumb. It didn't bother Speak me. For yourself. <laughs> it didn't bother me. When she said that, you were like, "Who is she talking about? Is she talking about the anti monitor, <laughs> or is she what's hmm? Aries, the god of war? What?" Yeah, I don't know. None of that bothered me. What stood out to me really about that scene, though, is the stark contrast from the forced conflict of Bruce and Diana in the theatrical version where I mentioned I sort of like the point of him saying, like, Superman's a beacon. You've been around since World War I, and nobody knows who the fuck you are. Like, what's up with that, right? So, I mean, there was something there, but it was also just a bad scene and when you look at what was originally there everyone is together we've just gone through some some scary shit we're all aligned in what the stakes are and what we need to do let's do it and we see a little conflict when they're actually about to do it and they're in the kryptonian chamber there um you know and and arthur's like this is a bad idea and affleck just keeps going do it Shut up, do it. Like, we already decided, fucking, we don't have time to debate this, just fucking do it. Yeah. So we get a little bit of that, which is good, because that's human, that's real, that they're not all going to be like, this is smart. But this setup scene is much, much better. Yeah, they're on the same page. It's more about them planning. It's another scene where Cyborg has something interesting to contribute. Yep. He's not just being a jerk. Like, he's, they're working together. Not only did this one not include all the stuff that I thought was stupid about the other one, but they already seem more cohesive. Mm -hmm. There's no Batman adamantly telling these people what to do and like insisting that that Superman is the path. Instead, you have like Flash being the one who's really like, this is a pretty good idea, guys. And he like, we're all thinking this, right? Yeah, exactly. He's not really coming from like a science perspective necessarily, but he's the one who seems mostly vocally adamant about them doing that. And, and Batman instead is kind of like, well, Batman does have to reassure them and kind of sell them on it because they're like, I don't know, man, who's to say that he is more powerful. And he's like the mother boxes. He goes, cause Mm -hmm. guess when they called out when he was gone. Yeah. And so he's like, that's our fucking proof there. They know his power. He is the guardian of this planet. And so we take this great, much, much improved version of that what scene. What did they call out in 1904? Yeah, I don't know. Before, or 1732. So we come out of this much improved scene and we have another one. They're back to back where Lois and Martha have the heart to heart that they should have always had. And not this stupid visiting her at the planet and throwing in weird sex jokes and my source isn't a she and all this fucking bullshit, but actually showing these broken real people supporting each other. And earlier in the movie, when we first see Lois, she's getting her daily coffee She drops it off to the cop. We see a Daily Planet truck pass her by and drop the newspaper on the sidewalk. And you think this is where she goes on her way to work. She pays her respects on the way to the job every day. And Martha says, I just came from getting Clark's things. And Perry says, you haven't been to work since he died. 
And I'm like, oh, shit. That's so different than they made it seem. And, you know, there's a couple just little shots of, like, her moping around the house or open up the chest with his cape in it or whatever. And the pregnancy test. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one, too. Um, but this is the scene that they deserved, both as characters and as actors. This is what they deserved to get, and I loved this scene. I thought the dialogue was a little clunky, but visually, the shot is a million times better than that other one. Just like the where it's in their apartment, the way it's lit, it's more interesting. It moves between them in an interesting way. Uh, it's more emotional. Yeah. It's just that same scene, but better in every way. Yeah, but what about the Martian Manhunter stuff? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's now, another excessive moment. This should not be there. was added in 2020. I will 100% commit to that because Harry Lennox, the actor who played him, and he's been in all three of these movies now. He didn't know that his character was Martian Manhunter until 2019, which is well after this movie was shot. So that has to have been a reshoot, and I strongly dislike it. When they bring back Martian Manhunter at the end, fantastic. I'm all for it. But when you take... These two characters that have gone through heartbreak and trauma and who were robbed of that in the last one. And this is the redemption. This is the one where it's, this is the way it's supposed to be. And we have this great moving scene and then, oh, but it wasn't real. That it's, was bullshit. It's a green alien we've never met before. That's who it was. That was bullshit. Yeah. Too bad there wasn't a scene where Lois is like, oh, so nice to see you the other day, Martha. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Or, no, it should have, as soon as Martian Manhunter left, it should have cut back in the apartment, and then Lois should have shape-shifted into a different alien. Whoa! It could have been yeah. two people. At that point, yeah. you might as well, because that was fucking bullshit. That was just an Easter egg for the sake of doing it, and it, and, unless someone... that excess. Yes. Excessive. Yes, unless someone can convince me with a, a, a very good story, I, I, I don't think that that was helping anything. And uh, it upset me. Yeah, frankly, that, that is the most like blatant, Joss Whedon, irrational, why did you do this moment of the whole movie to me. But if it feels like what that is, what the anti-life equation, without saying what it is, that feels like also what the epilogue is, all that stuff. It reminds me of, when we talk about an artist going like, well, this is my run on the series and I'm not going to get to draw Gorilla Grodd exactly. on the Washington Monument. So I really want to just shove it in here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, like, it hurts the movie. It hurts the story. Yeah. Yeah, I always think that it's not... I know that we've talked about stuff like this before where it's more about the setup and maybe it's about the hype, but I personally wouldn't want to... I'd prefer to make things that were like more open and closed because it just... It makes it like a weird gamble if you don't get renewed for something or if you don't get to make another flick or something, then yeah. then what was the purpose of all this stuff? Like the desert scene and the stuff in the end and what did all that crap matter or seeing Martian Manhunter again if none of that stuff comes to pass and we don't see any more of it? And I'm like, why was why did I watch that? It didn't it hype me up for nothing. Well there's a way you can do it where it lives in the movie that it's in and kind of like adds texture to it. But that's why I say like just seeing Darkseid in this and having him hinted at is cool. Yeah. And so it, it exists in this movie to add to this movie. 
But as soon as it starts being like what you're talking about, where it's only point or more of its point is to hook you for another movie, that's mm-hmm. when it becomes dumb and kind of pointless. It's like opening doors to nowhere. Which is all right if it works in the story, but when it's just opening a door, mm-hmm. it's probably not, we're not going to go through. That's bad. And like To get a little tease uh-huh. of Martian Manhunter is neat, but to have it be like this where it just serves no point other than to be like, I bet you can't wait until the next one where I get to do him and also we get more of this future stuff. But the so difference is Dark Side was written in this movie as a part one that was supposed to be a three-parter Justice League series and the difference is this Martian Manhunter shit was just shoehorned in after the fact because, well, odds are I'm not going to be able to do this again. So here you go. Here's your fun cameo. And like, yeah, that would have been a fun cameo if not for the scene it was fucking attached to. So again, the end. Great. Bring him in at the end. Love it. Yeah. Better to see him at the lake house because then that whole scene is like disingenuine. Like those are nice things that you said, but how would you know that? How would you even know that stuff? And And now Martha Kent has no resolution. Exactly. The grave robbing scene is another vast improvement. This is one of the most different scenes. They don't have their weird racial jokes. They don't have the pet cemetery stuff. They have Arthur and Diana kind of waiting in the wings. And they're saying like, wow, Atlanteans and Amazons, like this is pretty rare. Something about they hate each other or or whatever. And Diana just says, hate is useless. And I was like, that's the most Diana thing you could say. That's great. I love it. I wish they would have slipped some stuff in about like knocking boots and some dirty talk like that. What do we have in the back no. of the van? <laughs> no, it's Batman and Wonder Woman, not Aquaman. How no. dare you? But they've got tension. He revealed his feelings and stuff in the last one. It just... That doesn't exist here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. I can't forget it. Retconned. Aquaman likes those Norwegian ladies in the Norwegian village. <laughs> yeah, he likes a sweater sniffer. The sweater sniffer. <laughs> Alfred and Bruce are prepping the Batmobile where he said, you know what, for once I'm operating strictly on faith, you know, and and not with reason. And I like when they do those little things that, like, if you were to think this Batman is acting differently or uncharacteristically or something, we know Batman is the constant logic analytical type. And so for him to say that is, is neat. But what I most love about this scene we get a glimmer of the, if we even have a 1% chance that he is our enemy, then we need to take it as an absolute certainty. You know, that, that great fucking scene that they had in BVS, he gives that a little bit when Alfred said like, yo, if you're not sure you can stop the bull, then don't wave the red cape in his face. And they have this little exchange where Bruce fires back on him. I like their exchange. It shows there's still some fire under that Bruce. Another spot where I thought the dialogue was a little corny, but the intensity was on point and the energy of the scene. Well, you know, you just need to rewrite all the dialogue because you don't like any of it. I'm, Hollywood is full of writers that write well, so you don't have to have Zack Snyder or whoever wrote it write all this stuff. You can have somebody Chris Terrio. This bull charge is back. Not when it's this red cape. You know what I mean? Okay. No, this metaphor doesn't make any sense. <laughs> now, pretty much the very similar scenes have already happened at this point. And, and we're a couple hours into this movie at this point. It's really ramping up. And the slow burn 
the, this is when it starts to pick up. So they go to Star Labs and they have the false alarm break in. And Silas is thinking, this is not right. We've been hacked. Not thinking about, I have this computer boy at home who's a master <laughs> hacker. Um, <laughs> you know, not to mention just the shots of all them walking through the hallway look so great. But they're wheeling in Cal's body, and the ship starts reacting like it knows his presence, you know. This is where we get the little glimpse of Lois's uh, pregnancy test kind of interwoven here because she goes and returns to the memorial, and that's why she's there. She doesn't get dropped off by Alfred as some sort of plan. She's there paying her respects again. It's convenient, but it's better than Alfred bringing her as a Batman poet. But again, she's there because Martha just came to visit her. She's just taking she this always goes there. Preg- there all the time. pregnancy yeah, test, right? We have that leading into it. And she, she makes some mention, I believe, of going for one last time. Putting some closure on this. Great, great, great premonition moment when Cyborg is interacting with the ship and they're setting up for Flash to run and charge the mother box. Victor gets this vision of the nightmare future and Wonder Woman is dead. Darkseid is on Earth and kills Arthur right in front of us. And the ship keeps saying, like, no, you cannot reverse this action. Do not do this. And Bruce just keeps going, like, fucking do it. We already said we we're going to do it. Just fucking, you know. And then we also see the mother box is timed wrong and goes in first. But Flash runs so fast it reverses time and we get a little teaser of that which i liked i was yes. confused but then i liked it especially when we got to the end yes very cool very cool everything about this part very very cool in the shot where they're they're doing the the nightmare premonition or whatever you want to call it there's a, a shot where the camera is kind of going over this mountain of shit and you see the broken hall of justice wonder woman's shield you see a dead lantern there This was used in the trailer, the original Hallelujah trailer. But on this version, the Superman holding Batman's cowl and looking evil as fuck, that was not in there. So they used that shot, but they gave us sort of an incomplete rendering of that shot, which is an interesting choice for a trailer. It's neat. I mean, it's more of that stuff I've complained about before, where it's like a cool thing that's just kind of a fake out. This is a weird choice, too, about that moment. This is as they're about to revive Cal, and we haven't seen him yet on screen. We see him for the first time in this flash-forward moment where he's holding a body, and Darkseid puts his hand on Superman's shoulder. Probably Lois, I would think, isn't it? Yeah, and they don't spell that out, but that is what happened. And uh, we get a little glimpse of that in BVS and also at the end of this movie uh, or, or, or later on where Bruce mentions that and said, so, you know, Barry Allen came to me and he said, Lois is the key, you know, and Diane's like, yeah, he's the key to Superman. He's like, no, it's, this is something else. This is something darker. No, no, I think it's more like she's the key to the anti-life equation that's etched on no, the surface. That's not quite <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, I wish that they had spelled out a little bit more in that flash forward that you could see it was her or something. But um, I was fine with that. I'm, still I'm cool looking. Always a fan of less. Less is more. Yeah. Like Batman looks over at him like, is he having one of those creepy dreams right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's good. 
<laughs> no, Batman's like, shut the fuck up. Just do it. Let's get out of here. Do it. Come on. I've had those too. Just ignore them. Push forward. Bruce Wayne has reservations tonight. <laughs> oh, and as Evan observed before, he does go in in a full suit and still comes out shirtless. You know, that's just for the ladies. There's no reason behind that. I'm sorry. But Silas is there when that mother box lands in the parking lot, right? They Hollywood had- double standard. There's no shot of Diana in a full matronly dress bursting out of something. To be yeah, why well, don't I get to see her God. hairy nipples? I mean, you get, so poorly. you get a couple butt cheek shots here and there. But anyway, one of the dumbest things in the, the Whedon cut was that they have the Superman showdown and the mother box lands out in the parking lot and no one notices the whole time and then literally off camera steppenwolf booms in takes it and booms back and we're like this is such an integral part of this story of him collecting the boxes that's the whole plot of the movie and you don't even show it happen so in this it lands didn't run off to grab it or something yeah and so in this it lands in the parking lot and silas is like oh shit grabs it in his fucking jacket takes it inside to hide it steppenwolf booms in while the other guys are distracted how could you fucking cut this by the way they put his goddamn death in the trailer that was fucking stupid they put him disintegrating in a trailer but the scene is great the scene is great i love it again it adds to the whole dimension of silas and victor and and self-sacrifice and it just and it wasn't even like self-sacrifice to save them. It was self-sacrifice to give them an advantage in their fight. Yeah. He was willing to sacrifice himself just for that. If they were yeah, smart like, enough to know what he was doing, you know, like. Yeah. I like the whole heat signature tracking system thing. That was cool. And they set it up well, you know, like giving you a couple of lab scenes early on. It's, it's no different than seeing Alfred working on the gauntlets that can absorb the energy. You know, it's like, sure, that's just a, a little character building moment that's fun with Alfred and Diana having some banter, but it serves a purpose to set up later. And I like that. I do like it because it felt comic booky. It was a little convenient because it just felt like them going like, well, how can we have Superman blast Batman without just turning him into ash? Yeah. Right away. It's like, Oh, Oh, Alfred just made a glove that, well, no, give give him a couple shots. In the other cut, Batman is sort of defenseless against the parademons when they're fighting at Strikers Island and shit like that, or they're fighting at the end in Russia. He doesn't have a lot to do when he's outside of the Batmobile or something. And in this, they don't let us forget this is the warehouse Batman, and he still brings it to them hand to hand. And uh, I, I like that they were able to explain, give him some Nolan style tech advantage that that rationalized it. But all on those same lines, I actually like in that earlier fight with Striker Island or whatever it is where he's fighting, he actually fights less in this version of it, which I like. Against these odds, he really doesn't have as much to do. I mean, practically, he wouldn't be doing as much. Well, and what we do with that is in observing the gauntlets in action against the alien technology, the parademon guns, right? We're seeing how well it worked. And he communicates with Alfred. Oh, shit, it's actually working. This is great. And, you know, Bruce is like, celebrate later. Fuck. When Superman does it later, then we see the difference. So it's sort of like setting up Steppenwolf with the Amazons. You know, like, yeah, they could maybe, if all of them were there, take him down, right? But he 
you know, and so it's just kind of establishing the like, oh, wow, that fucking works. Look at that great defense that he's come up with. Oh, it doesn't work on Superman because he's the fucking baddest. You know, I I like the layers and, and demonstrating it's, it. In, it's set up well. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that I think is different in the Superman fights the league moment here is they sell the speed of Superman fighting Flash. He throws everyone off of him. And he runs over the Flash. And what I don't ever remember seeing before is in the background. Diana is still falling after being flown off Superman in slow motion in the back. And the amount of action of swings and jabs and running that's happening between Cal and Barry in this moment, while she is moving just a few feet in the air, Keep in mind how fast you'd be moving if your whole body was falling, but if your whole body was being thrown by Superman, you'd be moving fast, right? And so I just like that little thing that one detail can make that whole sequence of events way crazier. Yeah. Especially when everything is so relative when you're talking about this stuff. You're yeah. talking about so you're talking about supers stuff that you're showing us in a super slow way so you also need some other stuff to create some sort of like distinction or to have some kind of comparison between the two yeah this scene felt longer on the back end to me like there was more to just them fighting that i liked a lot more and i thought about it the last time also but one thing that kind of hurt me is that like we get shown that superman can be approximately as fast as Flash, to some degree anyways. Yeah. Maybe not the whole speed of light shit, but it, it this mini fast Flash. And it's really cool, the whole like him catching him and catching him off guard and them kind of duking it out thing. But then it, at no other point is Superman portrayed in a way that he moves as quickly as Flash. Like, I don't get why it makes it look like he can step up to Flash's level and fight Flash when Flash is doing his thing. But any other time that we see Superman doing stuff, he's not ever exercising like this type why of speed. It, why isn't he always doing that? Well, yeah, yeah. but you could say the same yeah. thing about Diana because in the beginning we watch her deflecting the machine gun bullets, automatic rifle uh-huh. fire. And then when she fights Steppenwolf, she just runs at human speed to him with her sword right mm-hmm. and so i mean it's just it's a it's another problem of these they gave these people too many powers yeah the just, people who created them 100 years ago yeah yeah if you could go super fast i think you would go super fast always all the time so yeah. it, i don't know if your wife would like that go super fast. <laughs> yeah you got things to do get it out of the way be done well, like, every yeah, time so yeah yeah it's fast it's, it's, but you're right, the end of this scene is really the only significant difference. Uh, most of it is is very, very similar. All the coolest beats. Again, this was one of the best scenes in the other version. Yeah. And much like Bruce meeting Barry in his lair or whatever, it's relatively unchanged, and that's why it was one of the best parts. What we do change is there's no, oh, I'm definitely bleeding, and the, <laughs> oh, the do you bleed thing. Yeah, that was, that was my biggest gripe was no Batman Peter Griffin action. But they did do a slight disservice to Batman, I feel like, because we just watched 
the movie that this is connected to where he beats Superman's ass royally. And in this one, they give him two beats where he sits there scared and just says, Clark, don't. Clark, don't. And that makes me sad because this is the guy who's supposed to be prepared for this shit and the only one who's actually been able to take him. Just to have him cower on the ground, yes, he doesn't want to fight him, but I don't know. I would have found some other way to play that. It didn't bother me in this because they didn't have much time. This was all coming together very fast. So yeah. They didn't have time to set up sonar traps and his robot suit and all that stuff. So he didn't have time. And then there was fear, but to me it was more like desperation Yeah. when he's on the ground. like It's not like, I'm afraid of you, don't kill me. It's like, I'm afraid we're all going to die if we can't get you back. And he's like, that kind of, more like that. you know, at least if Superman kills me, then I won't have to go on with this shit and uh, fight Steppenwolf. <laughs> that's, that's a Batman's thinking. Oh, I can't wait to die. Uh, yeah, I wasn't doing a lot anyways. I mean, the gauntlets, they're the only thing I got going anyway. <laughs> you just ruined them. Uh-huh. Lois does intervene, though, mirroring the BVS moment where she intervenes. I, I'd still like that symmetry. We mentioned the, the Silas dying to protect the mother box. But what we also get is uh, an improvement on the return to the Kent farm of Lois and Clark, as well as Martha showing up eventually. Did you guys have this instinct when you're looking at that scene and the close-ups where you find yourself staring at his lip? Because yeah. I did. Yeah, I gandered. Yeah. The, the end of that scene in the cornfield have the same fakeness that it did the first time. Oh, no, but, no, I disagree. I but I would just be like, I'm so used to staring at it and, and trying to figure out if it's real that I was just like, I couldn't look away. And I, But I was like, that's that's a handsome man. <laughs> when, when he was out in the field petting the corn stalks, I thought that it must be like a dark night Easter egg where he's he's gathering his energy from the plants again. Yeah. <laughs> Sucking the life out of yeah, all the organisms. Like post-nuke, he's, he's getting juiced up again. <laughs> Snyder really knows his stuff. He knows comics. He gets it. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving along. We got a lot more to cover. Victor fixes the plane. Uh, Steppenwolf has a sort of office space moment when the unity first occurs. He's like, synchronize! Synchronize! Like it's not working, and I can just see him like, PC load letter? What the fuck does that mean? You know, just like, (laughs) ready to punch his printer. The black recovery suit is gorgeous, and I am in love with it. Right before this movie aired at midnight on Wednesday night, Hot Toys announced that they were doing the Black Suit Superman, which less than a week ago, as the stimulus was coming, I was like, has anyone heard? Is the Black Suit Superman coming? Is this ever happening? Couldn't find it anywhere, nothing. And I was like, cool, I'm going to just buy the regular one. So I bought the regular one, and 30 minutes before the movie airs, because they're in fucking Hong Kong, they announce the two-pack black suit Superman and nightmare trench coat Batman for like half the price or something. I'm like, fine. And so as the movie's going, I will once an hour or something, pick up my phone and refresh it to see if the pre-order's up yet. (laughs) And so so I I bought it while, while the movie was still playing. I wonder if Batman was missed that Superman stole his steez. 
Well, what I love is I, I think it looks awesome, and I love him flying up into space and that great silhouette yeah. in front of the sun that is beautiful. Oh. I just wish they had done a tiny bit to explain the the purpose of the black suit and and him getting his full powers back, his full battery charge, so to speak. It just seemed like it was like, yeah, time for a costume change. It was sort of like what you said before, like, if you know it, it's cool. If you don't know it, you might just go, why is he black? It's cool. Cool for us. I just wish there was a tiny bit more, but I love that that's his look for the whole rest of the film. How am I supposed to know any time that I see Martha? After the Martian <laughs> Manhunter, how am I supposed to know if it's Martha or Martian? Yeah, actually, uh, been Martian Manhunter his whole life. So John Jones <laughs> raised Clark Kent. Yeah, yeah. There's no Martha Kent. Exactly. Yeah. Only Zool. Mr. So, Kent was having sex with an alien. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm not even going to go into that. Um, oh, you should. Awesome, awesome sequence. So Batman flies the big troop carrier plane thing, takes down the force field. But the awesome part is when the parademons are prying open the ship, and it's just like BVS when the Batmobile lights first come on and it bursts out. Like it, It's exactly the same, but he's just mowing these fuckers down. And we still get the backwards driving and everything, but like so much more cool shit happening here <laughs> when he busts out with the guns at first i was thinking it would have been awesome if it just did like a straight across straight down like like keaton is that 89 or like yep. batman returns like yeah just like did it did it did or if he happened to miss some of the parademons because they weren't within that space <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I love that shit the whole climax is just phenomenal i mean it is everything ramped up and you're wondering like this is what you cut down like you guys love the big crazy cgi third act shit and really you wanted to remove this awesome tag team shit i mean we get a couple of those shots but like fuck it was gnarly this is a perfect example too of that same where like cutting out the thing that they added the eastern european family trying to flee for their lives and saving them yeah cutting out they added that to humanize it. Cutting that out makes this better. Yeah. Yeah. There's, just, there's enough going on. There's enough tension. There's enough things you worry about. You don't have to worry about this little family. They don't matter. Because you've properly built up your characters. And so yeah. the audience is invested already as opposed to just like, well, we sort of threw all these people into a blender and then um, why do you care? Uh, innocent bystanders. I mean, the truth is that those people are as important as everybody else, but the bigger issue here is like a global apocalypse, not necessarily this one town at the moment. You know, like I'm not saying that those people are unimportant, but focusing on them seems less important than the fact that there's like billions of people that need to be saved. Yeah. And that should be enough of a threat. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. I don't have to see the people. I know that there's a lot of them. I mean, I get the goal, though, because I've said so many times these big end-of-the-world things, they don't mean as much to me because you're not invested in it. But yeah. because they did the back end right, you don't need it. And part of the thing that I don't like is that as soon as you open the door on 
you're like, ah, they're people. And so not only do you have the scenes prior in the village and the purple energy worms <laughs> growing in the ground, then you also have to follow up that stuff. So you like create scenes that need more scenes to close them up versus yeah. just being able to be like, oh, there's people in the village. Because then later you'd be like, what about the people when all the stuff started going down? Yeah. And so yeah. to just skip it in the first place, then you don't have Superman or Flash saving hostages. You don't have them pushing them in a pickup truck or carrying an entire building or any yeah. of that crap. You don't need to follow it up because you never even started in the first place. And another great layer here that was missing is Victor establishes he needs Barry to supercharge once again, right? And they're going to repeat this motion that we've already witnessed. That actually creates tension. In the first one, you have moments of Victor's at the mother boxes and Steppenwolf catches him a couple times. Like the guys aren't keeping him occupied enough. That builds tension. But when you have that plus Barry on the outside, like waiting, like, okay, dude, like I can't fucking do this forever. Are we ready? Are we ready? Like that also just helps to create extra stakes. Yeah, you already had a time frame, but now you have like like a really condensed time frame. Like yeah. either this succeeds in this very small window of time or it doesn't happen at all. Just kidding, unless time travel is part of it. <laughs> and then you're yeah. uh, Batman best at using alien guns. Yeah. There's there's many times where I'm like, ah, I know what the guys would say. Like if I bring this up in the podcast, I just need to, <laughs> I just need to buy it. But his ability to like hop on a turret or take any of their rifles and be able to use any of their weapons. Like, mm, yeah, you're the best, I guess. Yeah, that's how I thought of it. When they work on similar principles, point and shoot, he's a genius and a master combat guy. Yeah, he studied every style, man. Every weapon. Yeah. All all of them, I guess. They're all the same. I do love, though, when he's just like (laughs) hopping around and throwing little bombs out of his belt or or the whole way he's kind of traversing the outside the full on Batman commando mode yeah we, yeah, he's kicking ass it's not as cool as the warehouse shit cause it's not this like self contained you know but yeah. seeing him not powerless in this moment and seeing him actually really fuck shit up is great and considering that he was just on like a more or less like kamikaze take down the shield mission he's like Oh, just kidding. My friends kind of helped me out, and I'm not actually going to die, so I may as well hang out and fight these guys. Yeah. And we mentioned the Superman suit, but the Justice League suit actually looks great with this uh, beautiful color grading because it, it had this really excessive blue and was just, he was too bright, you know? He was like. I get what they were going for, but it was too bright. Fully present in every scene because there's no shadows and. and in this movie, he just looks beautiful, and, and I far preferred the other suit before, and, and we, we both start with the BVS um, Superman death and end this movie in the BVS suit, but I think it looks gorgeous in every scene in between. Well, I like the beat of him when Steppenwolf brings the axe down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he slides it and hits him. His reaction of just like, what does he say? He's like... I was talking about Batman that whole time. You were talking about Batman? Yeah, we talked about the Superman suit, but the Batman Justice League suit... Oh, I thought you were talking oh, about Superman. Oh, I didn't hear, yeah. But you're right, it does get more techy and stuff. speak it clearly, goes, you idiot. It goes from like the overlap 
uh, burlap sacks to actually having like defined angles and musculature and stuff. But yeah, when Superman okay. does show up here, Ben, you were saying about that. Because that was my complaint about Superman in these movies, for the most part, is he just isn't how I think of Superman. He's someone so powerful and so positive that he's not bitter and he's not mean and explosively angry. And so this moment, even though he's not wearing a bright red and blue suit like he was in the Joss Whedon version, mm-hmm. he has that attitude of like not impressed. He's not pissed. He's mm-hmm. not mean. He's not bitter. He's just like, I'm here to beat you up. That's not yeah, like a mic drop line or anything, but yeah, I do love it. And that whole sequence, how they really just let him go to town and he just instantly blows on and shatters the ax. He <laughs> The frost breath from the catacombs of Superman powers. <laughs> and, and he just annihilates this dude. I mean, he, he, like when he starts blasting off Steppenwolf's armor, I'm yeah. like, oh my god! And then he oh, fucking cuts his, cuts his head half off. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. holy shit! That's there the Superman no I want to see. Like that. That is awesome. I think it's like his presence that's the biggest thing. Like yes, in a similar but different way than I think of Batman. Superman has an even more of a reason. Like he could be the biggest, loudmouth, cockiest dude because he's the strongest dude. So he could talk as much as he is powerful. Yeah. But I like that he doesn't. That's also that's how I always liked Batman too. He speaks less. He doesn't want to. That's like his whole thing. But I like that's how Superman is portrayed in this. Like it's all actions, minimal words. Just shut that dude down. Now. Cool thing happens here where the unity is achieved, the boom tube opens up, we see Dark Side, and it's like, oh, they fail? Because, and, and most people watching this movie probably wouldn't think that, but I remember hearing a couple years ago that Snyder's vision was that the League would lose. And that, that I think that was how the, the like the nightmare shit came to be. So I was like, oh, shit, does this actually happen right now? Does this go south? And I love that they did the little, like, break the speed of light, Flash can reverse time, and, you know, they were able to still put a bow on it because if we never get a sequel to this and everything ends terribly, <laughs> it would just be such a downer. Yeah. Do you think that after the fact... Because Barry is the only one would know what Barry did. Yeah. Do you think that Barry gloats about it and just goes on and on and talks all about how he saved everybody and saved the world and shit? If it was a Marvel movie, that would be the post credit scene of like the the shawarma moment of the like. Hey, you guys know what? I, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know we lost, right? Yeah. And I fixed that. If it wasn't for me. Yeah, it's true. As cool as it was, and I, it didn't bother me because it's the end of the movie and it just ties up the movie. Time travel stuff is always such a risky thing because now, like, <laughs> the same way as why isn't Wonder Woman always just running at full speed? Yeah. Why isn't the Flash always just going back and fixing things that went wrong? I looked at it as like a Superman 78 homage, kind of a, a classic DC move. Another thing that happens here is with Cyborg. There too. With Cyborg in the mother boxes and he's trying to communicate with them and break them apart, right? He gets this vision that is very much like what happens from Enchantress in Suicide Squad. She gets in the heads of each member and projects them a future that they're fighting for, like 
Deadshot with his daughter or Harley with a, a normal, not sadistic, abusive Joker. Um, you know, she's putting these thoughts in their head of the life that I can give you if you submit to me. And, you know, we've seen that that's sort of the, the end goal. Steppenwolf is like, they are divided. We will conquer them. We will give them the salvation through subservience to Darkseid. And that's what parademons are. So they give us this fantasy of Victor's family restored. And he balks at this like, I'm not broken. I'm not alone. Fuck you, bitch. And, you know, rips him apart. I like Those that moment. Parademon silhouettes are creepy looking. Or not like the, 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 the mother boxes, yeah. yeah. The mother yeah. boxes look creepy. That's some Ghostbusters shit right there. That's true. Arthur stabs Steppenwolf up in the air, runs him through, and they use the same shot of Diana coming down with the sword and screaming, but I guess we had no fucking idea uh, what it was going to be originally because she just decapitates that fool. And, Before um, he flies through the portal. That's such that's a cool so awesome. Yes, and it's weird because, one, I also, that was spoiled for me. I knew that she was going to cut his head off. But they did the same thing in the other one, but far less effective. Like, they make it so no one in the league kills, but, oh, all the parademons will swarm him, right? And then when the boom tube closes, his helmet falls through. So you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that dude's dead. So, like, why would you take such a badass thing and then make just, like, a PG dumb version of it. So much of the criticism of the previous Zack Snyder DC movies of like they're too dark, they're too violent. We need these guys to be heroes, not just like violent murderers. Yeah, and so, so I, I much prefer awesome. the violent murderers version and Dark Side <laughs> then just yeah. squashing his head under his boot. You know, it's another just great alley oop moment of action. You know, the great, yeah. beautiful action scenes. Um, I like anything that portrays like an incredibly fast, clean cut like in the cartoons, you yeah. know, so there's like minimal blood and then his head doesn't fully come off until yeah. he gets through the boom tube. Yeah, awesome. yeah, that was cool. All right, so the epilogue is uh, similar, but has, again, another emotional quality here because it's Cyborg reassembles the tape from Silas and that is the narration, not the Lois Lane article. We get the quick shot of the Dark Knight Returns tank for some fucking reason. Yeah. I feel like that also may have just been added for this. It's great. It's awesome, but it just doesn't lead to anything. The Luther and Arkham post credit scene with Deathstroke. First of all, I don't understand why Whedon reshot the laughing guy when you didn't change any of the lines. You just have someone. Well, what if he looked dumber? When he was laughing, that'd be great. I still think the whole thing is stupid. Yeah, they're very this similar, movie, and I don't really like them. That this scene movie should end when Superman takes off and like jumps into the air. That's the end. I don't want any of the epilogues. None of the, nothing that comes after it is good. I don't mind the epilogue stuff at all. I don't think the Arkham thing is cool, but I love the Deathstroke on the boat with Lex Luthor, and I think the last shot of the movie should have been when he said, but I do have something that'll help you catch him. His name is Bruce Wayne. Mic drop, end of movie, holy shit. No, no, we just saw a team of Earth gods kill an evil foreign god, and then their big god is still on the other side of a portal. I don't care about bald businessman and his ninja sidekick. 
it's stupid. And that's fine. It's and, dumb. and the way that they cut that out and put it as post credits before, I'm totally good with that. If that wasn't part of the runtime and they just it's a little thing they give us later, great. No. I, I like I like the scene, but I restraint. I, I'm with you that it's not necessary. Now, especially if these movies are all getting shit canned. But then it cuts to the nightmare. The first time I watched this movie, uh, as it's getting to the last hour and then the last half hour, I'm going, so where is it? It's, How is there so much it's left? In the, it's in the trailers. We've seen all the Jared Leto pictures. Like, where, where is it? And so the fact that they just fucking, the movie ends and it just, oh, here's another scene though, pissed me off the first time. But then about halfway through that scene, I'm literally on the edge of my couch, like leaning my whole body forward, like, oh, just eating it up. And so I pulled you in because I had I did not have that feeling at all. Yeah, I was like, this is so fucking stupid. And it's like, why? And it's playing out so weird. Their exchange is odd. And then as they really see, I knew you wouldn't like this, but as it really starts ramping up, I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. When we finally get that line. Joker's toying with him like, oh, he knows about loss. You know, he's like, mother, father. He's like, I'd be very careful. The next thing out of your mouth. And he starts ru- fucking kill you. rubbing in the it's, Robin shit. I love pointless. it. It is so completely pointless and stupid. Nah, it's the illest shit in the whole movie. Not only is it fucking dumb, it's a dream. And then Ben Affleck wakes up and it's jarring because he's clearly lost like 30 pounds. So he doesn't look anything like he did for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And we get another dumb Martian Manhunter thing. It's stupid. He also excessive and stupid. He also looks that way in the suit. You can, first of all, you can see it in his frame, but you can see it in his face. Like as he moves around, he doesn't have the face to fill out the cowl because it's the same cowl pulled out of storage. Um, Mm. I didn't like it at first. And by the end of it, it won me over. And then, and then the other two viewings, I, looked forward to seeing it. And I I, t- I totally think it's unnecessary. It should have been a post-credits thing. All should this is... Something should have been far away and a different thing. All this is is Zack Snyder going, well, I'm never going to get to do this again. And fans have lamented, like, we don't get the air cut of Suicide Squad. We never saw that. We've never seen this Batman and Joker on screen ever. Oh, it was so much better before we did. He's like, I know what I can do. I can explain the Joker card on the nightmare gun. So we get this little thing. No. I'm a fan, man. I'm a fan. Yeah, I noticed. It's not good. That's okay. I also like that, again, full creative control, Snyder. There was so much debate about this Batman kills in BVS. Oh, my God. Like like every other on-screen Batman hasn't killed. And so he goes, you know what? I'm going to double down on this <laughs> for everything that's said. Then he gets the, and I will fucking kill you line. And I'm I was like, kill you, man. Uh, can I say that more times? Uh, that's my Batman. I want pissed off Batman. I like it. I'm good with it. I, I don't like a Batman that uses swear words. I'm going to strangle your goddamn neck. You fucking pansy. Oh, I've been doing pushups all this time. I'm fucking ready. That was a jarring line. And I remember hearing that like the movie's gonna be rated R, and and an insider said that it's because of Batman's language, and I'm like, that's weird. And then there was all this thing about like Batman says fuck, that's weird, and I'm like, eh, I don't know, whatever. And then I forgot about it by the time I'm watching it, and then he says it, and I'm like, 
I was geeking out with Gabe about this last night, how much we love that. And then the l- last little bit with Martian Manhunter after the dream and the, the screen goes black and we get four autumn, which of course is Snyder's daughter, Zach and Deborah's daughter who uh, passed away and kind of was um, the emotional baggage that they had to work with in coming back and finishing this project as well as kind of taking the L the first time when uh, they replaced them with Whedon. So any Easter eggs we want to go through real quick? I, I said mine already. No. Uh, there's an Ace Chemicals uh, building when uh, Barry goes, ooh, that's the bat signal, you know, in the background. Um, nice. We get a little granny goodness and apocalypse, but that's kind of already there. I, I thought that was neat. Yeah. Because that's another thing where most people are going to be like, who is that old lady? But... Wait, they, what is this? they put it in the trailer, and that's why it's stupid. A weird friend group. Okay. <laughs> Pros? Oh, it's consistent. It's extremely consistent. It gives the characters the time they need yeah. to stick in our brains and actually have some kind of weight. I think it's probably Snyder's most cohesive story as well. It is complicated and long, but just because of so many players. But everyone is done right. You know, it's beautifully shot, and the story is just well told. And the visual consistency is important to me. Yep. Yep. And all of the characters who we felt had been done a disservice, Bruce, Lois, Martha, Victor, Alfred, everyone. Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone fully redeemed. And it largely eliminated all the booty lines that I did not enjoy the, the other one of. Cons? All those moments of excess that are just just too much where they had something going and then they just went too far with it. This version could stand to be less and still be this version, just less. Yeah, I think for me, it's the editing of maybe just 10% less and it'd be just about fucking perfect. That and, yeah. the, and the aspect ratio, I, I just really think those two things would take this from a what I'm going to give it to a full five. <laughs> I didn't love the length of it. I just have a hard time committing. When I think of a movie, I generally want to think that I could digest it all at once. That uh-huh. way, you're that way you're kind of properly ebbing and flowing how it should go. Versus like, well, that's all I got tonight. So you stop it in the middle of some random scene, you know, because that doesn't tension doesn't work that way. You don't just like drop it in certain spots. It's supposed to like go up and go down in certain yeah. places. But if it was a four-hour well, hike, you could have done it. So I'm, I'm just kind of shortcutting all that and losing some of the intended flow of stuff. I can watch something that's long. It just probably won't happen all at once. And otherwise, I just didn't... I didn't love the Martian Manhunter stuff, and I didn't love nor hate the nightmare scene at the ending. I just felt like it was another one of those... Uh, here's something, but it wasn't really something that I want to think about, nor did I... Actually, I just didn't really like it. I just didn't super like that Joker. Yes! Yes! I just didn't uh, super love that Joker, and I didn't really see the point. That's yes. fine. It's vastly better than his Suicide Squad Joker was, but, again, it does not belong in the runtime. That should have been an after-credits extra thing that has doesn't belong anywhere. nothing to do with anything. In the trash can, right in the trash can. Shut your mouth. Trifecta. <laughs> Detective. Uh, just like, you know, finding out Aquaman's Aquaman and just little bits of stuff. But 
it's more of a team movie. Yeah. Yeah, and also the uh, I like you know the whole gauntlet stuff we talked about, and he's constantly like he's working on the ship plane thing. He's working on uh-huh. the Batmobile. He's you know he's doing shit. He's that dude. Uh-huh. Ninja. Pretty good fighter. He, yeah, he shoots all those guys. He looks more <laughs> ridiculous when if you have like a solo Batman thing and it's Batman fighting humans, you get to feel like yeah he's a real ass kicker. And then when he hangs out with a bunch of superpowered people, you're like, ah, it looks a little less. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kind of hanging. You know, it's a con that I didn't say, but they cut to a shot of him after they've won of him hanging on the edge of the, uh, yeah. the cooling thing. I'm like, why didn't they just carry him up? Why did they make him climb all the way up? Well, no, he <laughs> slipped him the last little He didn't leg. climb. He used his grappling gun because Still, it's in his hand. They had to help him the last bit anyway. They should have just carried him up. I bet if you were to actually like slowly go through stuff through the action scenes, you would just see Batman like shooting his line across the background, like just <laughs> doing away. busy work. Yeah, just like trying to look like he has that's why, going on. That's why they expand the aspect ratio upward so you can see the grappling hooks in the background. <laughs> I was going to say to Ben uh, about the carrying him thing, I was like, this is not invincible where everyone wants a ride. <laughs> You just put your arms under his arms and you just gently carry him up. Trauma? Nah, no, not really. I like this Batman. Victor's trauma is central to the movie, but... Yeah. I think Bruce's trauma only comes up in the the nightmare. I know people have died. Oh, I I guess one thing that I did think was okay about that was that him having the nightmare still shows that I don't know that he regrets bringing Superman back because I think that's the right move. But the whole nightmares in the first place were, were based on his existence and like the potential of his existence. Yeah. And so you'd think that the nightmares would stop when he wasn't around, but then now that he's back, he has reason to still potentially think the same things again. And that's scary. Yeah. And there's also just based on the, the greater story of like Lois dying and the anti-life equation and all that is that, Joker says, you know, how many alternate timelines have you blown up the world because you you weren't weren't willing to sacrifice yourself, right? And and so supposedly the redemption in that is that there's some version of this where Bruce dies saving Lois and that's, yeah. So, but again, like, that's it's not part of the movie. Stop that's talking about it. Three movie storyboard. <laughs> All right. Final rating. This is three. It'd be a little higher if it didn't go overboard, but it's a three. I had a good time with it. I recommend it if you like superhero movies and action movies. I can't remember how I rated the other one, and I think that this should be better than that one. But without <laughs> that as a reference. <laughs> Just give it a five to be I, it, No, I, I think that like three and a half is good for me. Yeah. <laughs> this always happens. But yeah, I think uh, for me, it's a four and a half. It might be my favorite of this trilogy. And I do like this series quite a bit. Just needs a little, little bit cut out. But um, I, I love just seeing a person do what they set out to do and not have anybody getting in the fucking way and so this is as close to a perfect snyder movie as there is i think i think 300 is better than all this garbage i haven't seen 300 since it was new 
But I love Watchmen. I love Man of Steel. You know, I, I pretty much think Man of Steel is a perfect 10. And, um, you know, this... Our scale one, doesn't go that high. Well, yeah, yeah. Our, our show is different. Out of five. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is... Schumacher territory? This is great. I told, I told Ange last night, I said, you know... Um, I always hate when you watch a movie and then it's over and you got to decide, well, what the fuck am I going to watch next? I said, well, with this, I don't have to. It just, here, here's your night. It's great. Yeah. And I, I like how they separated it as like, you know, part one through six or whatever. And I, I think that's cool that, you know, if you need to take a leak or whatever, you do it right there. But, um, yeah, I stopped at Superman's resurrection and finished the last two or three chapters the next night. Yeah. And that was paced well. That's a good chunk to watch at once. Yeah. I mean, the first half is much, much more slow and personal. And the last two hours really is just all crazy, wild action shit. And uh, it's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm very satisfied. It was much like BVS. I'll tell you this. Because I went to the, the midnight premiere of that movie. I was tired. And it is long. And is complicated. And I was like... Man, I kind of love this, but like, what? And I walked out of it kind of like unsure. Like, well, that was good, but I don't know. And so I like, I went back the next day, and so I had this thought in my head of like, where does it start to not be as good? Because it starts perfect with the Metropolis shit. It's amazing, you know. And uh, then the movie ended, and I was like, okay, it never got to the point where. I thought it got worse. Like it never got bad. And I was like, okay, I must be tripping. Cause I loved it the second time. And, um, I sort of felt like this the first time where I stayed up, you know, I worked all day and then I watched it at midnight until four in the morning. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was cool, but I didn't feel like blown away because it's four in the morning i'm thinking about what i'm doing with my life uh, <laughs> no i stayed up till five thirty talking to the nerds on instagram about it but um that's insane i need to go to bed <laughs> but when i rewatched it one um, message i could leave you with bath <laughs> manage your time and go to bed at a reasonable hour get your sleep drink yeah. water invest in your health well no i took peace out thanks for listening i took the next day off so i could sleep till two it was fine anyway I very much am a, just the type of person who's like over analytical and I need to watch something multiple times to digest it. And I got to say, it only feels shorter and shorter the more I watch it. It's more just like, yes, give me all of this. Yeah, I dig it. Just as a bad, I dig it. <laughs> this is Robin. Thanks for checking out the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhand. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We are going to take a quick break and come back with some new 52 comics, resume our every other week schedule. Now, I want to leave you with a bit of information I learned from a new interview with Zack Snyder on the Real Blend podcast. Check it out. He said that even on this version, they gave him studio notes and he was forbidden from filming any extra scenes. So the two scenes we got at the end that Ben loved so much, he just did it anyway. It's very punk rock. But the Martian Manhunter scene was supposed to be Green Lantern and they wouldn't allow use of the characters. So pretty crazy. Thought you'd like to know that. Before we go, I've got one last thought to share and that is this. 
restore the Snyderverse.